Alright, we're rolling. Hey, everybody. <laughs> I did a fulcrum off uh, building in Shanghai. Chris, Chris. Wait, wait. One at a time. What happened a couple weeks ago? You were so eager to go. You even talked over my intro. You're damn right I did. Oh my god, who show do you think this is? I just, I do think it's interesting we had two weeks of just like no news, and now it's just like we're jump trucked on. No, it was an error on our part because we forgot that several trailers came out. <laughs> like, and then, Comic and then Comic-Con just happened. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to also. I, I think the Endgame thing is this that happened what like last week, just like over the weekend. Over the weekend, yeah. Yeah. Endgame beat Avatar. I could die happy now. I could die fulfilled. I think we it, did it. I think it. I think it's better than beating. I think it's better than Avatar, and I think the MCU has more merit to it than Avatar. So I, I like that. Yeah. We did it, America. Uh, when Comic Con happened, and. uh... Some very big trailers came out, including one that I'm very passionate about. I'm sure you guys know all about it. I talk a lot mm. about the view skewverse a lot. And oh, I actually wanted to talk to you about a different one too. But yeah, like the Jane Silent Bob one's pretty fun. I'm pretty excited for it. We got uh, two Batmans, a Thor, a Supergirl, and a whole host of Hollywood actors that literally it seems like Kevin Smith called every favor in to do. Um, The Witcher also happened as well. I don't know much. What did you think? What did you think, Zach? Um, so uh, I read a little, uh, quite a bit actually about uh, this series, and uh, we actually know that this series does not follow the video games at all. Um, wow. yeah. So uh, it looks cool. I'm really excited. Uh, I talked to a friend of mine who is a uh, young adult writer, actually. Uh, and she told me that there is a very eerie Game of Thrones look to it that she's very worried about. Um, worried she, about? Yeah, she feels like they're going to try to too much to be like Game of Thrones and not try to be uh, The Witcher. Uh, and I, I agreed with that looking at the initial trailer. It looked like they were just like, hey, we know Game of Thrones is a big thing. We know you love Game of Thrones. Here's The Witcher! Yeah, I'm going to say anything that's made now that's of the fantasy genre, they're yeah. inherently inspired by Game of Thrones. At the very least, they got made because Game of Thrones is over. Yes. Um, it doesn't mean it can't become its own identity after that. I, I agree, <laughs> and, I, and I told her, I said, I have high hopes that it, it will find its own identity, and I want it to, but as of right now, I can't say more. Um, what? Whether... Uh, Real quick, though, uh, these two things happened, actually, I think, last week. I want to really briefly mention these. I don't know how big Chris is on these, but I know, Alex, you and I are going to be really excited about these. Uh, we got the trails to Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waikiki's new thing. Oh, yeah, that, that came out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about it, but it looks great. He looks great in it, especially. He looks very yeah. good. Um, and then uh, something that... Probably, Alex, you and I have waited like 10 years in the making. Chris, I don't know if you saw the first one. I hope you have. Uh, Zombieland 2 Double Tap. I actually have uh, seen yeah. Zombieland. 
I think, yeah, it's not like a scary movie. I'm glad you have. Um, I think it's a good movie, and then I lo- saw this trailer, and I think it looks good. I actually think it, I'm really excited for this. I yeah. I wasn't begging for a sequel, so to, to see this and think I'm going to have a good time is awesome. I love comedy sequels that work. I'm I, always a comedy sequel. I thought it was so funny how when they first made Zombieland, only one of the four leads had an Academy Award, and now all four of them do. That is great. Well, no, I don't think all of them have a Well, they had nominations. One of them had a nomination. Uh, now I think all four of them had nominations, and I think two of them have won, right? Woody Harrelson and Emma Stone, right? Or no, just, oh, no, just, no, just Emma Stone. There was just one. Just Emma Stone? So, yeah, she's the only one that won. The other ones are nominated. That's okay. Uh, they're still all great. Uh, Woody Harrelson, is. this is the role that many people think of Woody Harrelson in. Uh yeah, that's one of them for sure. It is one of them. I couldn't tell you how many times I have quoted "nut up" or "shut up" or talking about Twinkies <laughs> or or you know uh, Jesse Eisenberg going on a random dirty monologue about stupid shit. <laughs> I felt like when uh, Zombie Lane came out that um, Her- Her- that Woody Harrelson was going down a sort of a slump that he was sort of like finding niches and sticking with them and he wasn't really getting to play something like he had done in White Man Can't Jump for a long time and so when Zombieland came out I was really excited because he wasn't like a stoic police captain cop kind of guy and he also wasn't so super crazy or weird he was just middle grade middle grade Woody Harrelson charming fun like awesome chip on his shoulder but lovable and I'm glad he's coming back to it yeah, I mean, he's he's had a, quite a career since then. He's done Hunger Games. He's done a few other things here and there. Um, but, I think he proved to, that how much of a better actor he is in things like Edge of... Uh, I think it's Edge of Seventeen. And um, especially True Detective. Yeah, so, uh, so we briefly want to talk about that. I don't really want to dive too much deeper on that. Uh... I do want to say one thing, though, and before, uh, Chris, yeah, really just I know one you want to talk about it really bad, but we're going to save it to the end. Can you hold yourself in for it? I already have it pulled up. You might as well just hurry up. I already have it pulled up okay. on my computer right here, so, so hurry up. Uh, two other trailers came out that were less loved. I'm going to talk about one real quick. Cats. <laughs> yes! Oh my god, the memes. I can see them now. Woohoo! All the I, memes. I have looked. I have talked to many people in the industry who work with visual effects, and they say, from a visual standpoint, it's gorgeous. It, it really is a gorgeous-looking film. Uh, a lot of them just don't understand why. Why? Why? Why do cats? Why? Why? Why make them look the way you do? I mean, it's not that it doesn't look good because it looks great. It, the it thing is, why? Why? Why do I? Why? Why do we need this? <laughs> so okay. So first of all. We were always going to get a Cats musical on film because Cats is one of the longest-running shows, whether you like it or not. Honestly, I don't like the show Cats, but I like some of the songs. Um, the other thing is, I agree. I do think the movie itself looks great. The sets yeah. look great. The lighting looks great. Like it, the, the world looks like a kind of city that I would want to live in, a good movie city. Um, but their makeup, or how they look as, as hind-leg-walking ballerina cats that are furry with faces like cats and humans, that's how the show is. Like, makeup-wise, that's what you do. The best-looking yeah. Cats musicals are the ones that have that but makeup. So I don't understand why didn't they just get 
makeup. The fact that they went CGI was a terrible decision. All the faces look horrible, and that's the problem. Wait, like, whoa, it whoa, doesn't whoa, mean back. it was as well done as possible. It's just why didn't you just get makeup? Back up. That was all CGI? Yes. Those are motion capture faces, yes. <sighs> not that, not that, they, I mean, yeah, actually they're furry <sighs> bodies too. Probably everyone is wearing like, either they're wearing suits and they change their faces, or they, or they're wearing ball suits like Ruffalo well, does. What ball. I understand, you know, hear me out, they actually shot this movie very similar to how they shot Rango. Do you remember how they shot Rango, oh Alex? Oh my god. Yeah. They shot where everyone was wearing normal street clothes, and then they overlaid it all. Supposedly, yeah. that's, that's how they shot this movie. And they, no, I, I, I feel like they did act it out, and I feel like they are on some sets, and they're on blue screens and stuff like that, but the faces themselves are the problem. They, yes. they should have been just makeup. Like, yes. Just let them be. And the problem is, if maybe they thought, oh, if we do makeup, then all of a sudden we're Mike Myers' cat in the hat territory. Yeah, and it sucks because cause I think there's a lot going for this, and I think the acting will be really solid. I just, I can't get past how weird it looks. It just looks weird. Yes, I agree. Um, I don't, it looks stupid, um, and that's kind of a problem. Do I think that the performances will be good? Yeah. Do I think that the music will be good? Yeah. Do I think that it will look good aesthetically? Sure, but not the actual not the actual cats themselves. Yeah. That sucks. I think Look, as, it, as weird as it is, take... I, think, I think quite a bit that the actors could give Oscar-worthy performances, but it just won't look... It just won't get there because it looks just terrible. It, it, it prompted some very interesting ideas after I saw about 30 minutes of The Lion King. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, I'll get to that. So, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the other big one is Top Gun Maverick. Hmm. Yeah. I'm probably the one person at the group that would actually be the closest to giving a shit about that. Um, I think Top Gun is a fun movie. I don't love it the way that a lot of like bros and dudes do. I get why <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise is charming. I get why the movie's fun. I like the director. I'm sad he's gone. But yeah, I don't, there is nothing much about this that I'm necessarily like the most excited for. But I think I'll enjoy it when I see it. I just kind of want it to be more of a love letter to Tony Scott than anything else. I'd like that. Yeah. So, uh, real quick, uh, last bit of quick news before I let Chris have his moment in the sun. Uh, we got two Oscar frontrunners already. Uh, we got uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, which, Alex, I know you liked a lot. And then we got a movie that's not even out yet. <laughs> but a lot of people are putting it at the frontrunner based solely on the trailer. And that movie is A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers. I think, it, I think it's a definite a nomination, but not win. Uh, a lot of people are calling it a frontrunner. Obviously, we don't know. You know, we got a lot. The, most, the moment Tom Hanks was in makeup and people saw the picture of it from the set, they were like, oh, okay, yeah, no, okay. Oscar nomination right there. We all know Hanks is good. We all love Fred Rogers. As long yeah. as the movie is horrifically bad and they don't show a scene where he's, like, taking a shit on a child. I think we're good. Like, Tom Hanks is a it's set in the bag. You have to really screw up Fred Rogers if you're Tom Hanks in a movie. He's Mr. Rogers, man. It's a contender. He's the most wholesome man on the planet. So, 
He so was. That's not even a joke. Fred Rogers was the greatest, nicest, sweetest man that ever lived. Yeah. Now. Chris. Hold on. Hold on, guys. Just a second. I gotta... And, and as yeah, DiCaprio... Comic-Con made an announcement. Well, I, just, I also want to say something to the Oscar thing. Like, having been the one of the three that's actually seen Hollywood, yes, DiCaprio is going to get one. He deserves it. He's really good in it. Everyone's really good in it, but he's also... I would say he has a good chance to be the lead actor. Well, Pitt has a better chance to be in supporting, but both of them are great in the movie. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Dad was learning okay. bass. Let, let, um, me, let, me, let me, Chris, let me build up the theatrics a little bit before I let you do your... Oh, dang it. You were going to ruin my joke. Uh, no, you'll be fine. Now, now, Kevin Feige, oh, Lord, Kevin Feige came on down high, and he, 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 he came to the old comic can thing, and he gave us a treat there. Uh, and I'm, he I did give us a treat. I, I don't he did. Kevin Feige supposed this. That's all you, Zach. I just want to. Play. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a good producer. Uh, Kevin Feige came on down high from his his perch up in Disneyland or whatever they call it, and he made uh, what was it like ten announcements, something like that. The most important um, being Mulan. Um. Oh no 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 no! no. And uh, I think Chris wants to wants to talk about. So, bring so honor Chris, to us what, all. What, what what did Kevin Feige tell us at Comic Con? <clears throat> Let me adjust my imaginary tie. Um, and uh, are you guys ready for Phase Four? Yeah, yeah. Fun. yeah, it looks great. Black um, Widow, May first, twenty twenty. Pretty cool. Yeah. Don't know how that's going to affect the larger hey, universe at hand, I, but who I knows? Just wanna... Oh, Zach, can I... You said you'd give me my moment. Why are you already interrupting me? Black Widow, May 1st, 2020. Uh, in theaters. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, Fall 2020. Um, Disney Plus on their streaming service. <clears throat> November 6th, 2020. Eternals. Oh, boy. Um... Let's see. And then February 12th, 2021. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Oh, baby. Oh, God, I'm getting... Oh. WandaVision, Disney Plus, Spring 2021. Um, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, in theaters, May 7th, 2021. Um, apparently, it's going to be scary. And it's going to have yeah, um, well, Scarlet Witch. Well, the, direct, the director of both the movies came from horror. Yeah. Can't wait. Um, I, I'm not surprised that he wants to do it. Like, I'm sure. I'm sure after all the money that he made for taking the job for uh, Doctor Strange, and also one of my favorite things is when Doctor Strange is fighting the guy as a ghost, and you see like how Rachel McAdams is acting. All of those ca comedy beats are all the same comedy beats you see in horror movies, which I really liked. I'm like, oh, this is a horror director doing something different. Now that he's made a bunch of money after the first one, and they trust him, and they brought him back, I wonder if he walked up and was like, can I make this movie scary? And they're like, all right, do it. That's the kind of thing I find interesting. They're, they're, yeah. That means they're hiring directors for jobs, and then they're giving the directors, once they're trusting them, chances to be themselves, which is pretty cool. Um, Loki, spring 2021 on Disney+. Plus. Um, summer 2021, Marvel Studios' What If animated series on Disney+. Plus. They got everybody for this. They got everybody. Everybody. They can get Quicksilver. They did not... Oh, well. Um, Hawkeye, Fall 2021, Disney+. Plus. 
Apparently, it will have Kate Bishop. And, um, yeah. And then finally... Nope. Wait, hold on. Yeah, finally. Thor Love and Thunder, November 5th, 2021. We're getting She-Thor! Oh! It's not called She-Thor. It's, it's just Thor. It just happens to be it James Foster. We're getting She-Thor! Um, Chris actually forgot... You forgot another one. You forgot another important one. Blade! Thank you. <laughs> and they got Mahershala Ali. Oh, let's go. Have, um, so, so to, to bring the hype down just a, just a tad for you guys. I have some questions as well. But go, go ahead. I, my main concern with Phase Four, and I actually this is a real concern, is uh, it seems to me like Marvel really wants to push hard on Disney Plus, which is fine. I'm I'm fine with that. I'm just not real wild about the fact that over half our faces. No, 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 no. Now, don't get me wrong. We are getting Black Widow, which has Taskmaster. We're getting Eternals, which is going to do a lot of cool stuff. Shang-Chi is going to follow up on the Mandarin. You know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is going to have Wanda Maximoff in it, and they're going to do a lot of cool stuff. Uh, and Thor Love and Thunder is going to recreate the Almighty Thor comic, which is really awesome. We're going to see Natalie Portman start in a lead role alongside uh, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth. And obviously, Marshall Ali is our new Blade, and that's awesome. And they did also confirm that Phase 5, which Blade will be a part of, has two, as about five other movies in it that they confirmed as well. Well, here, here's the thing. I... I... <sighs> I get what you're saying that half that all half of these announcements are for the streaming service and that they want to push the streaming service. Here's the thing though, all of the things that are part of the streaming service, they're we're done with those stories. They're just if you wish to continue on with those characters in that world, you can, but they've had their movies, they've had their story, their infinity saga characters. Notice how all of the other stuff that's different and new, they're all movies. Eternals, Blade, Shang Chi, like Black Widow. Like the only thing except Black Widow. That she gets her own movie because honestly she deserves it and should have been earlier and I don't know why it's so late and that sucks even if it's a prequel but all the other ones are movies and all the movies are new characters and they're the ones that are the actual fades whereas the streaming service they're just kind of like here if you want to keep going with these guys you can they're going to be the comic that's how they're going to do their comics now like in film like you if, saga ends if you want to keep going with your characters but they're just going to have their own little issues on the side the big the big epic stuff those are going to be the big issues that they're going to make a big deal of and those are the movies yeah um and and I understand that Marvel what if is going to be really fun supposedly uh, a big char- chunk of it's going to be doing Marvel zombies that's rumored to be one of the big storylines of it fun um so don't get me wrong and I love that phase 5 is going to have fantastic four in it x-men uh, Captain Marvel 2, Black Panther 2, Guardians 3, and a few other big notorious ones that we know have already been in development and that they've just been waiting on. Uh, movies like Nova, movies uh, that will include Adam Warlock, supposedly supposedly played by Keanu Reeves. <laughs> you want that, no one knows. I want it so badly. There's no evidence so far. I know, but I want it really, really badly. Um... It seem like I don't think he'll look good blonde, bro. I don't think he needs to be blonde. That dude, he does. He's Adam Morlock. 
<laughs> white. It's gotta be blonde. Uh, and obviously Spider-Man 3, and there's gonna be a few other big things that will show up there, too. But, um, okay. So here, this would be my question for you guys. Chris, sure. you can go first. But, uh, what are you the most excited about? Thor 11 Thunder. Uh, well, I'm, JJ, what are you the most excited about of the new movies? Thor 11 Thunder. Um, we're getting She-Thor. I'm gonna coin that phrase. Um. Huh. Okay. What are I you think... the most leery about? Hmm. I'm looking at this lineup right now. Hmm. We're talking movies. Strictly. I'm gonna. I'm gonna shock you. I'm gonna shock you. You ready? Like, I feel like you're gonna say. I think it's Eternals. Of course, it's Eternals. No one knows anything about it. So... It's the biggest gamble. Yes. Actually, it's not the biggest gamble. Shang Chi might be a bigger gamble, though. Shang Chi is a bigger. Yeah, gamble. I... No, guys. I'm sorry. Just because. This is the, first of all, Kung Fu has existed forever. It's it's just like just because it's something that's not that big anymore doesn't mean that once you watch it, people won't get into it. I and yeah, I just I feel bills, so I've got some of that vibe in me right now. I but like, it's gonna I, be a lot. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. I think Shang Chi's gonna succeed where Iron Fist failed. But I think Eternals, to me at least, feels a lot more like Guardians. Is when we first heard about Guardians, like who the fuck are the Guardians of the Galaxy? And of course, Eternals is the like weirdest thing. That's my point. Like, Eternals, if you look at the comic that it's basing me off of, it's such a weird, like, yeah. Lovecraftian plot. And so, like, that's a hard thing to execute, and I like the director. I think she's going to do a good job. Whereas Shang-Chi is like, it's a hero. It's a hero's journey. It, it's different, and it's Kung Fu-based. It's an entirely different genre. We'll bring It'll probably have some on. other elements to it, but, like, it's a it's a hero's journey that I don't think people are going to have trouble latching onto for, let's say, I, 10 minutes. I think, Eternals, I think like, the like, other tough thing about Eternals terrible. especially is that Eternals takes place millions and millions and millions of years before the MCU started. Ah, and so people but it doesn't, it doesn't end that way. They end becoming hidden in uh, in a modern day. In fact, they're going yeah. with the rap they have amnesia and don't know that they're Eternals. So not, not the entire movie is... <laughs> oh, no! So... Anyways, um, wild. there's going to be a lot of fun going in. I'm most excited, uh, surprisingly, not surprisingly, for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, I'm excited for a, a, a comic book horror movie that isn't going to be uh, this movie that we've been waiting on for like three years and they're probably never going to get. <laughs> With Macy Williams in it. it. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm excited for the fact that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will truly fucking finally do the multiverse explicit and do it in all its glory that it deserves and has earned and it doesn't need to be introduced in a silly spider-man movie or in an end game or whatever it's gonna get its own movie where it can be front and center and there's gonna be uh it's gonna be have a lot of mysticism and it's gonna have a lot of magic and it's gonna have the character that introduced us into the weird side of the more mystical and weird side of, of the Marvel Universe to it. And I think that's that's a perfect way to introduce it. I think Thor and Love and Thunder is going to be a lot of fun. It's classic. It's going to be classic Taika Waititi. It's going to be very fun. He's going to he's gonna basically make Thor Ragnarok 2 in some form. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on with it. Uh, but Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, like, I saw that. I'm like, let's go. Also, I just want to say... I, 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 
Uh, I'm excited for those, but I'm really excited for Shang-Chi. I, once I found out who the director was, I was like, ooh, I love his stuff. But also, it seems like the underdog. When I watched the footage of it, and it came out like they just, no one really, as a, as the audience, didn't really know what to make of the, the lead actor or the director. It just seems like they didn't know their work. And it just didn't get the response that everyone else did. I really wanted to do well. Now, I want him to be like, I want it to be a standout movie now, because it just seems like no one no one's really backing it the way they are everything else and so it feels like it's just kind of like genuine underdog to me i want to see what they do with it and black widow uh, black Widow seems like it's gonna be fun. yeah and um, i love that they're bringing black Widow's back. A great cast. i love for how shang chi they're bringing back uh, uh they're bringing back uh oh, things yeah for they're bringing back trevor happy. from iron man 3 and it just kind of makes me happy in the right way I like Trevor too. I like Iron Man three a lot. I don't really care that they're gonna get a new Mandarin and stuff like that. I never cared about any of that. I, I'm a big Iron Man supporter. So like, yeah. but also, she being with like a, an Asian villain and just having a, it just being all based in that kind of culture and all the characters and just everyone involved yep. really cares about that aspect is what I'm the most happy. And, about. I, and I, I think the dangerous thing when they did Iron Man three was that they were worried that the Mandarin's character is a as a character built on racism and it's it's sad but i think uh there's a lot of fun i think that they're gonna do them right and they're gonna have a great time doing it and i love that the director they got was the, the director of one of my favorite uh indie films of all time uh that stars another mcu actress that has done fairly fairly well for herself uh brie larson <laughs> yeah short term 12 is really good but also i'm not a hipster is basically Lewin Davis before Lewin Davis, and then Glass Castle with Brie Larson and um, Woody Harrelson is really good. I think Woody Harrelson yeah. got nominations for I that mean, as well. I actually got to, you know, you say you're not a hipster, but I actually got to see Short Term Twelve when it was making its uh, when it was making its uh, its uh, its film festival run. So I got to see it really early on before it hit theaters and all that. And I was saying that I am not a hipster. What? No, you, do you mean the movie? I'm not a hipster. Not a hipster. I'm no, no, he, no. Destin Creighton actually made his first movie is called "I Am Not a Hipster." Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> what? No. It's called "I Am Not a Hipster." Okay. Uh, no. Uh, I saw Short Turn Twelve on um on its uh, festival run. I thought it was so good. Uh, and I have. Very much wanted to see what he, what big thing that director had down his, uh, down his pipeline. I'm so happy that they gave him an MCU movie, and I'm so happy that it's gonna be a weird movie nonetheless, not not a, and a movie that's seemingly an underdog because I, I feel like that's where he does his best work. Have you seen Glass Castle? I have not seen Glass Castle. I want to. Larson and Brie Larson and Woody Harrelson are really good in it. Uh, um. Um, so when I think, actually, you know what, when I think about it, I've had this thought in the back of my mind, but I think I'm okay with it now. When I think about it more, I'm actually more weary about Black Widow. No, 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 hear me out. Yeah, hear me out, hear me out. I can, I can now, if, if it comes out that it's just a prequel, doesn't have any long-term effects on the, I guess maybe not weary, I'm just curious... Um, if it turns out that it, uh, it's just standalone and it just, um, it's a prequel, it's just giving, um, the character and, um, Scarlett Johansson probably the, uh, the movie that they deserve, then fine. I'm just curious to see if it 
has any ramifications in the long, in the uh, overall picture of the universe. So, so let me ask: if it doesn't, do you think that'll hurt it in the end? For me, no. I don't know about anybody else. So Chris, uh, that's what I'm asking. You've answered. No, you already answered for yourself. I'm talking about on like, like can like to guess whether or not on the public side, if just because it doesn't do anything with the MCU and it really is genuinely the film that that character deserves, regardless of whether it's a prequel or not, it's a genuinely good Black Widow movie that's just not connected to the MCU. Really, do you think people are going to give a crap then? Because that's kind of what I feel like I'm getting the vibe from Spider-Man is like. It's just kind of like, that's how I felt about the first Spider-Man. It's just this standalone movie. It's his own thing. I think, I think it'll, I think it'll still do well. Okay. I I don't think it'll hurt it. I think, no, I think, I think it deserves to be its own thing. I don't want it to be connected to the MCU. I want, I wanted that to be the epilogue of the MCU. I wanted, um, Spider-Man to happen before Endgame. Um, or to be the beginning of this new phase, like give Spider-Man the beginning of the new phase, fine, but like end it on Black Widow. That's the movie you should have epilogued this whole thing on. It would have you would have been able to tie all the things in for the MCU that you wanted to because it's earlier. You could have ju- you could have hopped generations and from like seventies or eighties to or whatever her age is. Like you could have done a lot, and it could have really put a cap on a lot of things. So, Chris, how much do you know about the Black Widow? Not a lot's come out, has it? We have a very specific timeline that we know when it takes place. 90s. No. 2000s? It takes place between Captain America Civil War and Infinity War. Interesting. That makes sense. She was doing a lot. She was. Uh, They said the big explainer functionally outside of anything that they're explaining is how her hair went from red to blonde. That's like the big tie-in thing. Oh, I really really hope they do more than just explain that. (laughs) (laughs) They want to to keep it as a simple Black Widow question is answered. We used hair questions in the Infinity War and Endgame, but now... How did she go from blonde to red? Oh, red to blonde. They they wanted to keep it very separate, and that was kind of their way to tie it in. That's weird. They never had to. They never had to like explain how she changes hairstyles in every other like movie that she's been in, and now they feel compelled because she changes hair color. They have to well, explain the, that. The, the, the thing they say is the reason she changed. She changed her hair on purpose for a specific reason, like like. The ramifications of this movie caused her to have to functionally change her identity, basically. Wasn't what hair did she have in Winter Soldier? She was blonde, right? She no, was she was a redhead. She was no, redhead she was like hair. um. Oh, she straight redhead, she had yeah. Straight red hair. Yeah. Yeah, and oh no, no she had no, curly red no, hair. At the no, not in Winter Soldier. Oh no, no, you're right. She had, she but had it was red, long red hair, and then. She, so then that means that the end of Winter Soldier, she looks at him and she goes, "I need to go and create a new identity." So my guess is that, yeah, she was out creating... She's a spy. She's got to change her hair for being a spy. No, this is between Civil War and Infinity War. This is the question they really get. Why is your change from this movie to this movie? Alex, Alex, this is between Civil War and Infinity War. 
I don't care. Uh, uh, I mean, well, I do care about what the movie is, and I care about the character. I just don't care about why her hair changed. Exactly! He always changes! I don't need to explain why he changes color! She's just fine, man. She's got to be different people all the time. She's exactly! The time. I love that David Harbour is supposedly playing one of the villains, and the other villain... Yeah, yeah the cast in this movie is great. Rachel Weisz, like, yeah, yeah. no, it's great. Uh, oh my David gosh, I forgot she was in this one movie! Of the villains, and then they haven't said who the actor is, but the other lead villain is Taskmaster, who is a character that many people have been waiting for for a long time. Yeah, um, I kind of it would, like, bring Julie Delpy in because she's the one from the flashbacks in, a, in Age of Ultron, but I don't think she's coming back. Um, we're not sure. We The only actors we know for a fact who have been cast are David Harbour, Florence Pug, O.T., I can't pronounce this last name, Rachel Wise, and Ray Winston. Yeah, I don't think she's gonna. I think she's gonna have a different person training her. I think that'll probably be Wise. Um, but I, I'm, also, I'm also excited for, um, the Daniel Bruhl's coming back as Zemo for Winter... For, for yes, Batman, yes, uh, yes. Winter Soldier. In fact, I just watched an interview and, like, uh, Mackie was talking about how he had his first fitting for his Captain America suit. That's cool. Nice. Um, so, yeah, uh, we know that it takes place fairly recently in the timeline. Okay. Um, I thought it would be an origin story. I'm, I was going to be like, all right. Uh, there's there's not nothing saying there, there it won't be. Uh, a lot of people seem to think it's going to be very similar to Captain Marvel in the sense that... Oh, uh, God, I hope not. We, we kind of come into her kind of midway through the story, but we kind of get her, her backstory through flashbacks and explanation a little bit. I'm, I'm, I just want her to have her own solid movie, and I think if it's more recent than it is in the 80s or 90s or something, then yes, that's fine. I That's better. And also then Scarlett Johansson can actually, like properly be the age of the person but um i just wanted to have her own i just wanted to have her own movie maybe whatever she does is going to set up like stuff that's going to happen later if it's that recent it sounds like she's going to be more connected to the mcu than people think um because now that infinity war is over there's still stuff that was happening before it that need to carry on that had nothing to do with an alien invasion yeah, so I'm interested to see where they take that then the, the other crazy thing is is that uh kevin feige has also said that just because uh, characters are dead doesn't mean actors are done. Um, so, and we also know that due to the existence <laughs> of the multiverse, thanks to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Marvel What If, uh, actors like Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans can continue, and RDJ can continue to come and do what they want at their own pace without having to dedicate their entire life to doing what they RDJ want. RDJ said he was done, so... RDJ did say he's done, but I'm getting this feeling in a few years after he's done a little bit, he'll come back for something. Not not anything big. He won't be big in it anymore, but he'll come back for like a one-off thing. That's really going to suck. <laughs> I'm sorry. If there's anything I've learned from like the last 20 years of watching great things happen and then 10 years later or 20 years later, those people coming back to those things... Yeah. Is that sometimes it can work and sometimes it can't. Like, how many times does Arnold Schwarzenegger come back to this It's ridiculous. RDJ's coming back. Yeah. You, there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. RDJ not will... going to be immediate. I'll tell you that right now. He's oh, not, not going to come back. He's going to be in a flashback. He's going to be a hollow or something. I guarantee it's most likely going to be a flashback than anything else. Yeah. But of course, RDJ is going to come in to shoot a scene for a day for millions of dollars. Are you kidding yeah. me? He's going to take a huge chunk of that gate. He'll come in for a day or two here and there, but it's not going to be like 
this consistent thing like he's been doing the last 10 years. That I don't know about. Maybe he might come back and do a Civil War type thing. Maybe less. Or a, a, I could see, like, a hologram thing happening, and he comes back and he does something. Or, like, if it's multiverse and he shows up to do what basically Roger Sterling did in Endgame. Like, he comes back as his dad, and he has, like, an entire 15 minutes with that actor, and he gets to just kind of play with his dad for a bit. Like, I can see Robert Downey Jr. happening. Someone going back in time, like Spider-Man or somebody, and then RDJ's there, and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm this kid, Peter, I'm gonna do... And then, like, I, that'd be cool to me. But, and uh, that again, that's a week? That's maybe... A, that's not that much time for an actor. That's... Uh, for the person shooting that... Like, look, look at Gwyneth Paltrow. She had no idea that she was in the wrong movie because she spent a day on a set and got thousands of dollars, millions of dollars for it. Yeah. They're actors, and they don't care about that stuff. No. Like, what do I have to go? Where do I have to be? Where's my makeup? Let's shoot. We're done. I'm going home. Yeah. RDJ, do, RDJ will do, like, a quick cameo here and there. Maybe something every few years or so, but he's not going to be a consistent I don't know. I doubt the choice will be about money or, or anything like that. But I honestly think if he ever does it, he's going to do it because he believes in what it is. And if that happens, I highly doubt that RDJ is going to be in anything bad. So, like, I think he's going to wait for the right thing if he ever shows up like that for the right moment. And considering the smartest of the people were the ones who got to Infinity War and Endgame in the first place, the actors who stuck around and knew what was coming and knew how to handle things, RDJ being the most important. He has his own trilogy. He's involved in somebody else's trilogy. And he's in all the Avengers movies. He is the MCU for that first thing because he made the role. The, the, other, the, the other crazy thing to think about is you got to think about this from like the Chris Hemsworth perspective. Chris Hemsworth was done with Thor after the second one. He had wanted nothing to do with it. And they, and they brought on Taika Waki and they said, Chris, you're going to get to do something you'll want to do. You get to be funny. You get to be crack one-liners and be Chris Hemsworth and not be Thor. And look at it now. He wants to do every Thor movie done by Taika Waki. He does not want to do anything that isn't done by Taika I guarantee you that it, it, I think that Thor really didn't get started till Ragnarok. No, but, even that, no. but the, that's because there was a sidestep with the first. Like the first movie, I think stands on its own and it's it's got its merits to it. And I think you watch that and the fact that Kenneth Branagh leaves is enough for people to go okay. But they wanted to get Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins was all set up for the second one, and Natalie Portman's like Patty Jenkins, let's do this. They kicked her out and got somebody else to do Game of Thrones because they wanted someone who would do what they would say. And it screwed them in the end because Patty Jenkins knew what to do and made a better movie. And the guy that they got really didn't do what they wanted to do as well as he could have done it. And he also was an original. He just did what they said. And you get a boring movie overall. And honestly, everyone, everyone was saying that to Marvel. And Marvel made that decision and they stopped and started to listen to everyone. And then Taika came in. So it was everyone saying, you need to change. And Marvel going, yeah, okay, we screwed up. We're going to fix this. And that is why Natalie Portman is coming back. Because Kevin Feige is willing to say, we made a mistake. We didn't listen to you. And we want to give you a chance to not only show you that we care about what you think about our projects, we're going to actually elevate you for it. We're going to make your career better for it. Like, there's a moment where Jane... Where Natalie Portman walks out on the stage and the audience is freaking out, and Taika Waititi bends down and offers the hammer to her. And she 
bends down and she uh, prays to it, sort of. She kind of bows to it. And, and I, I, it hit me immediately. She's so used to, because the last two movies and Avengers movies and all these things, coming out and bowing to the hammer. Because the hammer is the thing. But no, then it takes her a second. She looks at Taika and she's like, what are you doing? And then she goes, oh my God, I'm Thor now. She yep. lifts it up and she has this very satisfying smile on her face. You can see it. She's like, this doesn't usually happen. This is how this is happening now. They're owning up to it. They're, they're, they're living up to this. And it's not just Taika. It was Kevin. It was Chris. It was all of these people who walked up to her and said, they, we made mistakes. We want you to come back because it's fun here when everyone's on the same page. That to me is amazing. She had like the biggest smile on her face from that too. Like she was like, "Yes." Like, yeah. She she had this smile on this face that looks like this is everything I should have gotten from Star Wars, and I didn't get it. Well, yeah, I, I let's don't... not. Well, uh, I was gonna say watch out with Chris, but honestly, yeah, I think if you if that in those first Star Wars movies, you're like, I'm gonna be in a Star Wars movie because it was Star Wars then. It was the biggest thing in the world then. Everyone was excited, and yes, yeah, I'm, I would think that Natalie Portman feels bad about how things went out on prequels. I think she stands up for them. She's always stood up for them, and she's always been defensive of them. But I understand. She's said deep down, she's like, you know what? I kind of wish George focused more on the actors than he did the CGI. Like everyone has, and George has. We all know George picked the wrong thing to focus entirely on. It's just that's the end result. I mean, it's, yeah. What Taika Wakiti I think, has done for the MCU is incredible, honestly. I think... Just, uh, just Thor, really. I mean, not just the MCU. Like, I think he has a chance to really do stuff for the MCU, but just Thor. Like, that's what I love. Like, the MCU has these different trilogies. Some have just moved smoothly despite their transitions. Like, Captain America is a smooth transition from one thing to the other despite his director left and it's not even in the same world and they, there's a lot of changes to it and like Iron Man had bumps and uh, Incredible Hulk didn't have anything like Ant-Man is kind of having a little bit of a slump I think Spider-Man's consistent but uh, it, it's just so interesting to watch every single different series have its different ebbs and flows because of their directors and Taika Waititi and James Gunn stand out because they always stood out. They were always weird and interesting people, but also they're pleasant and they're fun to work with. Other people, they just stand by their decisions and they may be pleasant to work with, but they don't want to change your ed what Disney wants and you get an Edgar Wright. But then again, without that, we wouldn't have original stuff like Baby Driver that honestly needs to exist in a world without the MCU, with the MCU. I love the MCU, but we still need like Baby Drivers and Scott Pilgrims and different stuff like that. Yeah, and I, I think it's... It's nice when you get act directors like James Gunn and Taika Waititi who really try to do new and unique things in the MCU and they get to have a lot of fun doing it. I mean, who would you have thought that a director would fall so in love with a character that he would literally walk around with a raccoon on his shoulder to the premiere? That's awesome. Um, <laughs> you did it! So you did it. I wanted... Guardians premiere. I'd like to step away from the MCU for a bit because okay. I wanted to ask, uh, you saw The Lion King. Twice. Right? Twice? Remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. No, you did see it twice. So, what's your overall thought? I, of course, mentioned that I'd seen a half an hour of it, but you saw it twice. So, what is your what are your thoughts about it? Um, 
I liked it. <clears throat> I haven't seen it yet, so I'm going to step away for, for a minute. Cop, what you clear your throat for. I'm going to step away for just a second, guys. Okay. Hmm? Um, okay. I liked it. It was kind of like when I first saw the original Lion King, I'm like, okay, cool. This is pretty good. It was like one of... I can understand why it's one of Disney's best, but I never really, like... I never really... I'm gonna, like... Preface this, because, like... How old were you when you saw the first one? Um, actually, it was, um... 2017, when I saw the original oh, Lion King. It took me a while. Wow, okay, so that was your that was your thought as, a, as an adult. Yeah. Oh, I think okay. I saw it at the wrong time. Is what I'm thinking. I'm saying. No, no. I honestly think it. Like as a kid, I loved it. Like a lot of people, because um, I was a '90s child. As I watched it again as an adult, I was actually really quite impressed by it, by how it looked. And then when I, I was reminded even more so of that when I saw the new trailers. Um. <clears throat> let's see here. Um. I thought it was pretty much the same. But with photorealistic, um, photorealistic animation that looks scary good, um, and like I've still the thing is for me I still felt the same emotions that I did when I watched the original Lion King, and um, for like for me it was. Um, Hold on, what am, I, what am I trying to say? I'm not good with words. I'm losing my touch with words, people. Um, <laughs> the one thing I've never really liked about The Lion King, me personally, it's like the fact that Scar instigates the entire downhill slide of Simba behind the scenes and then Simba runs away because he thinks he killed his, he got his dad killed and when I watch everything after that right up until Scar admits that he that he killed Mufasa I'm like Scar killed Mufasa why do I know that why should I like it always I think for me, knowing that Scar killed Mufasa and watching Simba so because he thinks he did, it kind of, like, just a little bit ruins it for me. It's like, but he didn't kill Mufasa, and... Like, okay, so, like, this is a really interesting thought. Okay, so, I was watching Kill Bill with my dad. Okay. And he hadn't seen it in a long time. And at the beginning of Kill Bill, when she's fighting her first person... The daughter walks in, and the mother introduces the bride. She goes, this is, and says her name, and then her name is bleeped out. It uh, is audibly, there's a bleep, and you don't know the name of the bride yet. And it does that several times in the movie until you know the name. And then that happened, my dad's like, why? What? She said bitch. And I was like, no, she didn't. She said her name. And he's like, why would he, why did they bleep the name? And I'm like, it's because the director wants the audience not to know the name. And he's like, no, what does it mean in the movie? I'm like, no, it's a choice. That's why there's a bleep for the audience. The characters didn't hear that. The director doesn't want you to, the director doesn't want you to know the name. He's, he's, make, he's withholding information. 
This is the other way around. This is you, the audience, know that Scar killed it. Simba thinks he killed his dad. What does the actual wilderness think? What did Scar tell the wilderness? Did he tell him that the kid killed the dad? No, they probably just said the dad fell off a cliff and the dad died in a stampede of wildebeest. And the, and the, and the world is just sort of like, oh, that sucks. And then Scar became king. And they just believed it because Scar was a menacing person. But Simba doesn't know that. Simba's out doing his own thing, running away, avoiding his responsibilities. He doesn't want to be an adult. He doesn't want to accept the fact that he actually killed his father. Or he does accept that and he doesn't want to go home because of it. He feels guilt. Remember in Thor, when Thor was mm-hmm. banished and he thought his father was dead? He stayed there, man. He like he was like, Dude, my dad's dead. And he's because... I was a jerk. It was because I was a terrible person. Like, Thor, in a way, is, uh, is the Lion King to a certain respect. And that is all based off of Hamlet. The Lion King is Hamlet. It's a Shakespearean thing that's been around forever. It's been in a lot of stories. The idea of someone manipulating the son to take the king, and the son doesn't realize it. And once he does, he either goes mad trying to get revenge, or he becomes the hero and just gets revenge. But... And for that to happen, he has to avoid his responsibility before he comes back, learns the truth, and realizes what he has to do. But ultimately, it's like, you, the audience, need to know that because everyone else in the film except Scar doesn't know the truth. That's what makes it bad. You want you want to look at Simba and go, especially as a kid, since it's a kid's movie. There are kids going, no, Simba, you didn't do it. Simba, you didn't kill him. Scar did it. Scar did it. Come on, Simba, come back. Like, that's kind of why that idea is there, too. It's a very simple idea, so kids are the ones yelling at the screen and thinking about what's going on and going to Simba, come back, you don't know what's up. Hmm. Hey, Chris, have you, ever, have you ever actually read Hamlet? I'm actually curious. I have not read Hamlet in its entirety. I have also been one of the people that have started it and stopped it because I couldn't read it as a whole, but I know I know a lot of that bits and pieces in other films and stuff. It's, it, again, like the story is thin so that Shakespeare could write a bunch of like couplets and prose and the words yeah that's what people remember the most that's why the story's thin and that's why people love him so much as a structurist because this very simple plot allowed for just one person to do whatever he wanted style uh, style wise so, like that's kind of why the lion king is an animated film is amazing with talking animals it's beautiful and it's gorgeous the story is simple and kids can understand it it's talking cats and beautiful and it's great, but like it's also a ripoff of a Japanese anime, but that's beside the point. Yeah, but it's also anime is also doing Hamlet. I'm just talking about the story. I mean, we all know. <laughs> you know your Lion King stuff, and you know that. But at the end of the day, Disney still stuff all the time. But like Lion King on its own merits is, is has its own stuff. But I'm gonna ask you a very important question. I haven't seen it twice. Were you bored? Are you were you bored the first time you watched this new version? No. Okay. I kind of was. That's why I left. Hmm. I, I, I agree. Because, like, I, I'll be honest. I walked into this movie after watching the Tarantino Hollywood one because I had time. I was like, I'm gonna go check. I'm gonna go check this out. If I like it, I'll stick it out. If I don't, whatever. And I walked in right when the credits started, and I gave the first thirty minutes a shot, and I thought it was beautiful, dude. Scary good is a very appropriate way. to to say this man like the, I, there's artistry in this movie that deserves to be talked about for ages I don't know how they did some of the stuff it's amazing looking um I miss the color I wish there was more color definitely this photo realistic 
Um, it is kind of weird to see them singing and talking, but it's only because I I was bored with them singing. It's a musical. Do stuff. Like, that's what's so great about The Lion King as a musical, as an original. When they do, you just can't wait to be king. They're stepping on other animals. There's elephants. There's, like, Budsby Brook. There's fountains. There's everything going. It's so crazy. And you can do it because they're not real. But you can't really do that when you have photorealistic cats. They just run through a river as they sing, I just can't wait to be king. Ooh, there's some flamingos. But they're just running and singing. And I was like, oh, God. Yeah. Okay. That kind of irked me, too. And then, like and by the end, I was like, oh, man, I just don't care. Like, when so they're singing, it's just like, is this really the... Like, everything's so photorealistic, and they're all singing, and... Why? <laughs> so I would say, th- this is the way I was thinking. Um, would I enjoy the movie if it was The Lion King without singing? Maybe that would have been better, but you would have had to like build on those characters way more, and you'd have to add a lot more dialogue. It would have been like a chance that I think they probably should have taken if they were going to remake The Lion King. But I think they just should have made a different movie with this technology, and I think we would have been looking at a best picture. Hmm. Yeah, probably. The crazy idea I had in my head when I was watching, I'm like, you want to go crazy? You want like if you want you want to get crazy, like you like in Batman, you want to get nuts. Um, so, like the the crazy idea in my head was like, why not make it just a purely visual story and not have any dialogue between the characters if it's going to be fairly realistic. A, a, a silent film, basically? Essentially, yeah. Like, isn't it like Fantasia? Dude! I would have loved that. Oh, man, could you, you imagine? Like <laughs> just trying. If you would have just done that, like, if, like, if the cats were just cats and, like, like, oh, man, yes. They had the animation to do that. They had the cats to do that. You could have emoted better. And maybe, I mean, some people make the argument that you couldn't get the emotions from the cats' faces. And I disagree, especially if they would have done just that. That would have been ballsy. Maybe it not would have worked, but I would have I would have gone to see that Lion King. I would have considered that. Like, that would have been a pretty interesting thing to see. I think the appeal of it then, too, is what you could have done with that is not completely cut the music, but use, like, the... Um, the, the music itself, not the lyrics. So, like, the background music to help set the tone for everything. You know, so, you know, so you, you in your opening, obviously, you still do the tune to Circle of Life, but yeah. you don't have singing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I, man. I think it would have felt very natural, very beautiful. Yeah, we all, everyone in the audience would have been singing it. There you go. Think, they already know, they already know, they already know the songs. They just know. I think, like, in the key scenes of, like, uh, Hakuna Matata and Circle of Life and, you know, I Can't Wait to Be King, people would be singing it out loud when, even when you're not getting the actual lyrics. But I think people would still love it. Even if your, your lions are roaring, your, 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 uh, your your uh, your Pumbas are oh doing whatever God. they're doing. Your you know your birds are chirping. Your monkeys are are yeah. and hovering. You know your your hyenas are laughing. Dude. Whatever you know. 
I am yeah, I, I 100% agree. sold on this now. Okay? Yeah. I mean, it's a remake. Right? It's a remake. Everybody knows the movie. Everybody knows the songs. So if you just have the if you just have the music to the songs and no lyrics, everybody already knows the lyrics, so they're just going to sing along anyway. That's interaction. I love it. Oh my god, I'm sold. I'm sold. I'm 100% sold. That should have been, been a silent perfect. film. And then you could just make sing-along DVDs or like kids could have brought parents could have brought their kids to the theaters could have been like, here are the lyrics, kids and parents sing along. Yes. Like you could like make up, dude. They totally missed out on this. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Been a lot of fun. Smart guys. We're smart dudes. <laughs> <laughs> pat me on my back. Can someone pat me on my back? That was, no, <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Pretty good idea. No, that should have been pantomime. That entire movie should have... If you're going to remake The Lion King pantomime, put the songs in, no lyrics, and let the audience sing. Full on, dude. They had the technology for it, too, because, damn, there, there were some moments where I was like, that is not just real, just that looked beautiful. That was like when the mouse was running around. I was like, "Okay, interesting start. Where are you taking me?" I liked it. So, I really liked it. Yeah. also, yeah. like the thing that I thought when I was watching it too was like, now that it, actually now that I think about think back to it, I'm like, I don't know if I'm crazy when I say this or not. You may have to talk me off an edge. I saw more emotion in Aslan's face from the Narnia movies than I did in anybody else's face in this in the Lion King. Agreed. Okay, so I'm not crazy. Alright, I could jump. Bye. Yeah, but that's only that's only because Aslan, I think if we go back to it, he probably doesn't have the kind of that like he's probably way more expressive when he talks. And he probably has like less detail and features because like those li- every little every just inch of that line is detail. Everything. In fact, so much so, it looks ridiculous that they're talking. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Thing. It's the Uncanny Valley. They've made it so real that those mouths kind of... It, did you, have you ever seen those, like, that Aussie guy who does, like, voices for... But yeah, it kind of... It doesn't look like the animals should be talking. It doesn't look right. It looks unnatural. Yeah. When you compare it to Aslan, Aslan, I think you're right, just is the perfect combination of just, like, so, and real. Can we mutually agree? Not John Favreau's best outing. No, I, I, I think John Favreau has different priorities right now, and I don't think Lion King was necessarily that. Uh, I think he probably took the job the way many people did, which is for the technical aspect of it. I feel like this is more of a technical experiment than anything else because the story is so simple and. Uh, I think he wanted to do it on that level, but I don't. I don't think his direction is wrong. I just think the it's it's problem is from the script level. Like these are photo. It's it's just from the blueprint. You can't have photo photorealistic musical of cats, of lions and animals talking. You can't have that. Be a remake of something that's far more fun to watch. You can't make a musical and then dumb down the fun of the musical. Seeing yeah. the rain would be so much less entertaining if, like, they were just sitting in chairs and singing. Let's be clear here. I think, like, John Favreau is more at home making movies like Chef and movies like Made than he is, and even Iron Man to an extent, than making movies like Lion King. I think The Jungle Book was kind of a fluke, and it was a solid movie for what cool. it was. But I also think that they did it in a way that let it have fun with the talking animal. Wow! There's, 
disagree. I just think that they, I just, if, again, I agree, if this was a pantomime, it would have been a best picture. If this was, if this did not sing musically, it would have been a best picture. If it wasn't so photorealistic, it would have been a best picture. His direction is not wrong. The idea is wrong from the blueprint when it comes to the Lion King. If this, if this was any other story, this was original or a remake of something else, I would have been all for it, but it's the Lion King. Why dumb down the action of a musical that's adventurous? Why dumb down the color of it? Why photorealistic something that's really just kind of great in and of itself? It was the wrong item to remake, but he's not bad for that. It still has genius in it. It still has merit in it. It's just, I, I want him to make these kinds of movies. I just don't want him to keep making Disney movies. But there you go. Why is he making Disney remakes? Do this kind of stuff with your original. Like, Zathura has way more originality to it in its moments than either one of these movies. And it's just as, like, adventurous and filled with CGI and stuff. Like, he's capable of making great movies. Just, I don't really care about his Disney remakes. They're impressive technically, but they don't really get me story-wise. The script stuff. That, that's it. Like, he's a client. I, I kind a- of feel like this is him kind of trying to pay back to Disney for them letting him do Iron Man for all those years and kind of having a leading role in the MCU is kind of he has to make these, these you know, Disney live no, action remakes. No, hold remakes. on. Here's the thing. No, I genuinely likes the technology and likes working on it. Or That's probably true. If you want to continue down that line of thinking, this is his receipt for The Mandalorian. That's probably true. And that's the other thing. He's making The Mandalorian, and just the footage from that alone is enough for me to be like, yeah, this guy needs to be making blockbusters. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. It's just, I care about the Disney remake. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Whew. It's hard, man. It's kind hard. Ideas Actually, on this show. I don't, don't want to be the, the guy to, to take this too much further off, because we still got to talk about uh, Mission Impossible 3. Dude, but, uh, is, did one more point. Guys... One more point. What? One more point. This is well, why Milan's gonna be so great. Actually, want to talk. About <laughs> gonna be so great. I'm gonna. I can't wait for Milan. Do you guys get to see the like twenty minutes of the Mandalorian that they showed off at Comic Con? No, they leaked that. Oh god. god. Yeah, dude. I feel. No, I feel dirty. This isn't leaked. This is something they showed. Like they showed to people at Comic Con. Oh, so it's that not on the internet right now. That show. Yeah, go on the internet, dude. It's on the internet right now. It's cool, dude. That show is like. I'm I'm game for that show. Oh, I can't spell Mandalorian. Um, I feel ashamed. Um, no. Nope. Uh, yeah, I think he should be making blockbusters. There's movies. like it's like twelve minutes. I love, it. and it was at Star Wars Celebration. Oh, uh, yeah, I seen that. I saw the. If it's at Star Wars Celebration, he knows it before you do. Dude, it was so cool. I am so pumped for the Mandalorian. It. I just, there's there's no words to describe that that show. I right now, it just, I can't. It's there's too much. It's it's incredible. Nope, this is the Comic Con footage. What? No, hold on. This that's the that's the Star Wars Celebration footage. Never mind. Uh, Yeah, it was just Star Wars Celebration. Okay, I've already seen it. I've already seen it. I'm already in. It would have been Comic Con news if they had it. That's true. Um, it's gonna be a D twenty three, so. Yeah, that makes way more sense. 
D23 is going to have a lot of Star Wars stuff, I'm sure. Darn straight, baby. Let's go. Um, so, uh, anything else? Anything else? Did you guys want to talk about Once, a T- Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Because I know one or two of us saw it. He has not seen it. I, I have. haven't seen it yet. Uh, uh, is there anything you want I to say want, about it? I want, I want to give Chris one weekly reminder, though. <laughs> Alex, do you know where I'm going to go? No, I was laughing at something else. Go ahead. Uh, you still have not watched the Christmas special. <laughs> oh, you jerk. That was me. Ruthless. Oh, dang it. Why'd you have to do that? We're far away from it, too. We're so far away from it that we still, we still have three more movies here. Yeah. And um, then we gotta go good and bad. So we've got a while. I, I'm i still gonna give them re- weekly reminders until it happens. Anyway! <laughs> what? Bad person. <laughs> anyway! Oh, you know it's the best thing ever. No, I do not. Do not speak for me <laughs> on that one. Um, uh, um, so yeah, I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I really liked it. I think it's, I think it's on the like top tier of his best movies. Like he has, he has nine, and I would certainly say it's on that like top, like top five scale. It's pretty good, but um, it's it's interesting because it's not. It doesn't do a lot of what he normally does. He changes his dialogue style. Um, it's very chill. It's mostly the day in the life of three people, and then the last 30 minutes are horrifically violent. Loved it. The woman sitting next to me was cowering next to her husband. It's brilliant. <laughs> it was great. Uh, it, was, it was horrific. Um, pretty vicious, and I loved it. Uh, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are both great. They both deserve nominations. They're, they are as charming a pair as... Redford and Newman, as Tarantino said, like, I think it was a good comparison because they, I can't believe we haven't seen them together. They are really good. Um, there's some really good moments by DiCaprio with this young girl. She's fantastic. Uh, really good, gen, like, sentimental scenes I really haven't seen in a long time. This is a movie about an era, about people, about an event that Tarantino loves passionately. He just really, it's just all about the things he loves. He cares about him so much that he even wants to kind of, like, rescue some of these people from their ideas of, like, failure and success. And it's just so interesting. Because the more you learn about the era and uh, the event the movie surrounds, like, uh, it, it, it just gets more interesting. Uh, the soundtrack's really great. Um, it's not in, it's not in Glorious Bastards. It's not Pulp Fiction. It's more like uh, Jackie Brown in how chill and just kind of subtly good it is. And, I, yeah, I would say it's up there in, like, the top four or five. Uh, certainly a movie of the year. It's probably going to get a Best Picture nom. Uh, I haven't heard very many people talk about good Best Picture nominations already. It's probably the front runner so far because it's summer and there aren't many, very many out there unless Endgame is seriously talked about, which I don't think for Best Picture it will be. But it's ten slots, though, so who's, who knows? Blindside got one. You, you know how I feel about that. Green Book one. I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> for best picture, uh, probably get a nomination for best director. Probably get a nomination for best actor for DiCaprio, and they'll probably have to go supporting for Pitt. I don't think Margot Robbie is going to get a supporting. She may. It depends on what the year looks like for supporting actresses. She is very good in it. She doesn't talk a lot, but that's that's fine. Her performance is still very good, and anyone who says that there's a problem. 
A, didn't get what the actual role of her in the movie was, and B, the actress took that role. She knew what she was taking. There's there's famous people in this movie, guys, who are on screen and don't talk. There, there are famous people that I've seen in Westworld who are in this movie who are just there for two seconds, and then they never speak and leave the film. And I was like, of course, if someone says be in a Tarantino movie, you're going to be in a Tarantino movie. That's the way it is. And may, maybe there's a longer cut. I believe there's a four-hour cut somewhere, but like, it, it makes sense that Margot Robbie took the role, and it, I think the role treats Sharon Tate, the real person, very respectfully. And I, um, when people talk about the ending being violent, it's it's still pretty violent. So there's this like looming presence of like scariness and horror in some scenes. Brad Pitt goes to the ranch, and there's like a legitimate moment of like he may not get out of this kind of thing. Like it's a really good movie. I really like it. Um, it's, it's the best opening that Tarantino has ever had for any of his films, so they consider it a hit. <sighs> All right, guys. So say a minus. A lot of people are yeah, saying uh, we have talked for an hour and a half now. Nope, it was just an hour. This week, an hour and a half for you. Hour and a half for us. Yeah, not it's for Chris. It's been a very busy news week. So Mulan. Knives Out! So now we get to talk about... Oh, Knives Out? You want to talk about that? I mean, we could, but... Do we want to delay the inevitable any further? I don't don't know much about it outside of the trailer. I'm trying to to avoid um, that, because... Since it's a mystery and a whodunit, spoilers are the worst for those, and I just kind of want to avoid it. But... And Chris Evans is really good, and everyone looks really good. I don't really... I haven't seen the trailer yet, and I don't really want to. I like going into Ryan Johnson movies very blind. Very blind. Blind. Uh, well, I I walked into um, Looper blind completely. Ooh, nice. That was the best decision I ever made. So, I knew that Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis were in it, and I knew kind of a very very, very bottom-of-the-barrel explanation of what's going on. That was a time travel movie about uh, about a guy that kills people, uh, which is, like, not descriptive at all about what's going on with that movie. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, dude. I walked into that with, like, the minimal amount of information I could, and... I was so happy I did that because I walked out very happy with that movie. Um, yeah, I'm trying to avoid spoilers on who on this Who Done It because that's the problem. So it's so easy for someone to be like, "Well, I can't believe the killer was a duck," and you're like, "Ah, I'm gonna kick in the balls." Yeah. So, uh, well. As far as Mulan, the only thing I remotely oh my god, I never saw the Mulan trailer. Sorry, guys. Oh, it's the so it's so trailer, good. I even remotely bring care about honor to us all. And a lot of people say it looks good. Oh, it looks so great. Uh, the only the only thing about that movie that I care about is the fact that Jimmy Wong is in it, and that's about it. Oh! Guys, I'm not gonna lie. I think Mulan's my favorite princess movie. Well, good for you, Chris. Is she a princess in that movie? Huh? I don't remember. Yeah. Is Mulan a princess? Kinda, technically. Yes, actually, I think. 
kind of. I, I don't remember. I thought she was just a normal woman who wanted to get in the army. She was a daughter of a nobleman who. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. She was the daughter of a nobleman who took his place. All right, let's see here. Maybe she marries a prince. Maybe she marries the prince fighter at the end. Because I know there's a fighter she falls in love with. But there it is, right there. What? Oh, wait, no, that's Mulan 2. Why does Mulan 2 count? What am I looking hey, at? Do you guys know who okay, Kim okay, Wong is? He's plays, doesn't he play Wong in the Marvel movies? No. Benedict Wong? No, Jimmy Wong is like 30 years old. James Wong? No. Jimmy Wong. Oh. Okay. No, no I don't know. I guess here's the back question. Do you guys know who Freddy Wong is? Oh, Freddy Wong? Rocket Jump? As in Rocket Jump. Jimmy Wong is his actual younger brother. Oh, uh, dude, I, I don't know who what you're talking about. starred in the web series Video Game High School. He is in Mulan. That's all I know about it. And I know that he got the role of Ling, who is kind of the middle guy. The middle man. Uh, he's the lanky guy in the animated movie. Um, Zach, do I look like a guy that knows Rocket Food High School? Video game high school? I don't know that either. Uh, no, uh, Freddie Wong's actually known in the film industry because he works, he's a VFX artist. Uh, oh, cool. Who's worked on a lot of stuff. He formed the the YouTube uh, company Rocket Jump that, that was uh, specialized in okay. uh, uh, video vi visual effects specifically. Uh, so, That's and sweet. him and his partner at the time, Brandon JLA. Uh, well, Brandon uh, is basically uh, is from Minnesota, and he currently uh, works on all kinds of stuff. So okay. He, uh, yeah. So I looked it up. Although okay. Mulan is a member of the Disney Princess franchise, she is not a legitimate princess in the traditional sense, as, get this, she was neither born the daughter of a king or queen, nor does she become oh, princess, princess consort by marrying a prince. You've got to be kidding me. What year is it? Okay. Let me put it, let me just, does she earn the right to hang out with the other princesses in, like, Kingdom Hearts and movies like Wreck-It Ralph and stuff? She was in, she was in Kingdom Hearts. Like, I'm totally for it, because I, I think, I remember Mulan being awesome, but I also remember just, like, her not being a princess, but she deserves to be with him, like, she fought a war, Joan of Arc style, so, like, I, she deserves to be with him, but I never thought she was a princess, I didn't think that was right. I think the whole point is that they were done doing princesses, and they wanted to do something that was, like, um, comparative to, like, Anastasia, they wanted to do something along yeah. the lines, because that was coming from the same time, and they wanted to do, like, Anastasia's the last princess movie, really. They wanted to do something different. They were like, um, let's have a woman fight a war. Yeah. Hold on. Here's how I equate it. Here's how I'm gonna here's how I'm gonna draw this comparison here. Um if we think of <laughs> if we think of the Disney princesses as as Justice League members, Mulan's Batman. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Can't wait! I can't wait. Bring honor to us all. What is Elsa? What is Elsa? Superman or? Probably. We'll have to see after uh, Frozen Captain, Two. Captain Cold, Doctor Freeze. You need to chill out. You need to chill out. And the Disney confirmed this is my favorite character. Mulan, not even. I'm sorry. What? My favorite character from Mulan's not even in the movie. Oh, the dragon. You're talking about the dragon. Yeah, dude. 
Mushu! Uh-huh. Oh, we don't need Jack and Dragon. We don't need... No one listen, style. no. Listen, they've learned their mistake from The Lion King. Okay. If they're going in with a more hey, realistic hey, take, hey, they're not going to be... There ain't going to be no freaking talking dragon. Boys, dragon. Right fucking now. <laughs> no, and go to, go to Disney World, man. They're out there. They're everywhere. They're out there. They are everywhere. They're, they're outside your house right now. I want my Eddie Murphy voice dragon. He's doing Netflix comedy specials. He's busy. Hey. Let's get down to business. To talk Ethan Hunt. <laughs> oh, God dang it. I just want my Mushu. That's all I want. Ethan Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. Um, okay. Did he sleep with Carrie Russell? Or did he just teach her to be a spy? There's no, there's no Mushu, so this makes me sad. Well, that's your that'd problem. Be great. That'd um, be great if like a dragon shows up and he just like like talks for a little bit. But no, this is I want to see like a real move on. I want to see like a Joan of Arc yeah. story. But like, there hasn't been a good Joan of Arc story since uh, Mila Jovovich did the Messenger. All right. Yeah, I just I don't know why. I just I just want I just want. It's gonna be better than the Lion King. I guarantee it. Um. Also, the actor you're thinking of who plays Wong in the MCU, his name is Benedict Wong. I knew he was a Wong. He was a Wong. <laughs> well, I knew he was right a now. Wong. All I had to do was look at him. Like, oh, he's a Wong. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, also, uh, he's in Gemini Man, which is kind of interesting. I don't know anything about I'm, Ang Lee. I'm not going to see Gemini Man. It's just Looper with oh. Will Smith, it looks like. No, it's directed by Ang Lee and it's written by half of Game of Thrones. Like, I but don't it's know Looper with Will Smith. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to say this. Before, Looper would not exist without other properties, too. Looper would not exist without Blade Runner. There are, there are things build off other things. And I will give Ang Lee the fact that he has about uh, three or four decently amazing movies. He has three at least classics. Bonafide knockout classics. For me, no, four. He's got at least four. And I appreciate him as a director. I used to not be able to, and I've really grown to appreciate him. I I give him credit every time he steps up to the plate. So, this seems like something interesting. It seems like it's something new. He also does a lot with, like, CGI and technology. He did Life of Pi, so I trust the stuff they're going to do with Will Smith's face. But I don't know what the story is. I just know that, yeah, like, what old, like one version is trying to kill the other version, so... I, I'm for it. I, I'm about it. I, like, if I hear that the story is like really like time travel, because Looper more than anything is also about time travel. So we'll see. It's, so it looks like um, the guys who wrote it are the guys who wrote uh, Shazam, Game of Thrones, and uh, and it looks like Captain Phillips. Are the most known hey, things hey, that these guys hey. have written. All of them are really good. All of hey. those are really good. I'm the captain. Yeah. Uh, another. He also wrote uh, uh, the Hunger Games initial screenplay, which is a big deal. Uh, he wrote Overlord. Yeah, oh, Overlord. Oh, man, I forgot. I didn't see Overlord. Um, he. Uh, yeah. So they've got a pretty good writing team. They got half the guys who wrote Game of Thrones. They got the guy who wrote Overlord. Uh, and some other great stuff. And they got the guy who did, uh, 
who's worked with Brian Singer, and he's he made he wrote Shazam. He wrote uh, the first Goosebumps movie. Not that it was that good, but you know, it, right. it, it was all right. Uh, and he also did Jack the Giant Slayer with uh, mm-hmm. Christopher McQuarrie and some others. He wrote uh, what? Jack and the Giant Slayer. You could just tell Brian Singer was starting to check out. Yeah, I mean that's fine. It, that, I think a lot of that more had to do with like Brian Singer's problem and less with uh, the fact that Christopher McQuarrie. And Darren Lemke had uh, wrote it. I think they wrote the best thing they could have gotten out of that. Yeah, like that's just that is a potential driven like spectacle that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you know they. Okay. I don't think most of these writers have written anything bad. Uh, He also wrote uh, the 2004 thriller film Lost. Heard that was a good show. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know. I know nothing about this movie, so he directed so, and wrote it, and it seems to have done well. Before we go into the new movie, I want to slay through a bunch of things that I saw recently. So I did see Shazam. I think it's the best DC CU movie. Period. Interesting. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Like it's I think really Wonder, fun, isn't it? I think Wonder Woman is has a lot of great things going for it, but thematically and like character arc wise, kind of suck. Like, the villain sucks, and the themes, like, she's like, I, I believe in the power of love, and then destroys it. Like, that movie doesn't make I believe in the power of love! Yeah. <laughs> so, All like, I have I, to say to you, Alex, is, Go get him, Batman! I am Batman! I, I, I just think that it has a few problems in it, whereas I think Shazam was consistent. Like, the thematics worked, the characters worked, everything about it worked, and yeah, there are, like, problems with it and stuff, but all of it makes sense. The villain was interesting, just, that is the best, like, that was the best one. Like, some of the CGI had problems with them flying around, but, like, I, I just, it sucks when you think at the end of the day that Aquaman probably sucked all of the CGI artists, and Shazam was kind of, like, got Black Panthered, but it's so much, like, better. It's so much interesting to me. <laughs> so, I think, uh... I thought it was really good. I thought Zach, Zach Levi was really funny. I really loved it. Uh, I saw um, Long Shot with Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. Oh, really good. Okay. Really thought that was funny. Um, she was great in it. Uh, I saw How to Train Your Dragon 3. That, that was really good. I thought it was a solid ending. And yeah, you could end it there or you could keep going either way. I really liked it. All the thematics worked. I thought the villain was great. It, I think I might like the second one better. Definitely. But I think it's just, I think it's just, my, I have a personal stake in, like, giant monster movies, and that's pretty much a giant monster movie. And But this one just was really good. There's some problems, like, I didn't care about T.J. Miller running around and being like, I'm going to teach you how to get married and stuff. Like, that that was just wasted time to me. The, the girl that gets kidnapped and then, to, like, escapes. Like, I got bored by that stuff after a while. They just, they, those were kind of annoying. But outside of that, everything else worked. Um, and then I saw Missing Link. You guys, you guys know about Missing Link? Uh, yes. The Leica movie? Oh, the animated uh, Missing Link movie by Mike uh, Butler. Yes, the the end of the stop motion one with Hugh Jackman and Zach Galifianakis. Uh, so, so, you mean those? Well, you mean the movie well, by Leica? It looked interesting. I never really was interested in like going after it though. Oh, dude, guys, guys, loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was. It was the movie Tintin should have been. Yeah? 
Interesting. Zach Galifianakis was great. Jackman was great. Like, I was watching it, and I was just... It's so... It's the perfect balance of adult and kid. It's just perfectly dark as much as it is smart. It, it, it has kids' moments, but, but the moment someone's about to say the S-word, they stop. It just it knew its boundaries. It, it was beautiful. God, I love like it. Zoe Saldana still can't make a bad movie. Gosh, oh well. I mean, I think she was in Crossroads with Britney Spears, so... I don't know if that's true. I can forgive her for that. I that uh, I don't know how long it's Justin Long is in it too, so maybe you're right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Maybe you're right. You know, I, I gotta say though, guys, I, as, as yes, I, seek that out. Missing Link, really good, really okay. good movie. Okay. Really liked it. I'll have to look into it next time I have a minute. Mm-hmm. Totally taken by surprise at how good it was. Uh, Are we ready? Uh, yes. Um, I'm. Yeah, I'm interested to talk about this mostly because it's gonna it's gonna prepare us a little bit for some JJ Abrams talk. Probably at some point. I mean, he's gonna make a really important movie later. Yeah, he's making a movie. You guys hear? You guys hear that music? Sounds like uh, <laughs> I can't wait. It's okay, so kind of, I want to say it, but I'm not gonna say it. Just <laughs> well, say you hated it. I'll be the I'll be the odd one out. What? I was gonna say something inappropriate. That was oh. all. <laughs> it's okay. your well, it's your podcast, man. I'll I'll say it if you want me to say it, but if it's racist, Sometimes don't do I it. Put- my shoes and I walk around and squish my toes in it. Uh, that mini- <laughs> stuff like that. You sound like you got a thing for, for, for a certain franchise that J.J. Abrams is a part of right now. I think we need to talk about it. The, the, the part of the, this movie is very important. Star Wars! Sorry, what was that? I didn't say nothing. Star uh, so Chris, Wars, nothing but Star Wars! If there's a Wars, let these Star Wars stay. Hey, finally got to... Alex? Alex? What? Forgive me for what I was like. Sorry, what was that? I'm going to assume he said I ate my shorts and just go with that. Yeah, same here. Um, Okay, so Mission Impossible 3. um, So so this this was your first one, right? This is the first Mission Impossible movie I watched start to finish. No, wait. Hold on, did I see... I'm having a revelation. Hold on. Did I see Ghost Protocol first, though? I saw Ghost Protocol first on this. It was either this one or Ghost Protocol. Now I'm not certain anymore. Damn. Let me ask you this. Did you, the, the reason you were excited for Ghost Protocol be because you liked Red Bird? No. I was just... I was just getting around... I think when I saw... When I started getting into... Um, hold on a second. When I was starting getting into um, like movies, and from an analytical standpoint, don't fall. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't. I didn't know that Brad Bird had to, that he had directed Incredibles and Ghost Protocol. I thought they were two different people at the time. Um, hey, you guys remember Tomorrowland? Me neither. Go on. Nope, 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 nope. We're not going there. Um, Tomorrow. Ah, uh, dude, you like Tomorrowland? No, I said no. We're not. I know. 
My parents like Tomorrowland, but I never really saw it, so. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, go ahead. So, I think this was the movie I remember the most. No, no, I honestly don't know if I saw Ghost Protocol or Mission Impossible 3 first. I can't really tell you anymore. Why does it matter? Okay, so, well, it matters, well, this is just, because... It's interesting. I came into Mission Impossible literally in the first movie. Chris came in later in the second half, which is really when this series became Mission Impossible. Like, this is the movie that really is... This is I, I came into Mission Impossible, and really, I've never, I've never really been in it. I, I've seen, I think, outside of the ones we've watched, obviously, for this, I, prior to that, have seen two of them... I'm assuming Protocol and Rogue Nation. Protocol and Fallout, actually. Oh, oh, Fallout's so great. Okay. I can't wait to get to Fallout. I think I saw um, Fallout with you, Alex, if I remember correctly. No, I, it took me forever to see Fallout. Yeah. Oh, I saw I it at the theater before I left, though. No, yeah, I never got a chance to see it. It took me ages to see it. Chris was very mad about it. Uh, <laughs> no, I saw Ghost Protocol. That was the first one I ever saw. Uh, and then I, and I saw it on a whim, because the, um, the, the Abu Dhabi scene on the Burj Khalifa was interesting, that was about all I knew about it, uh, and so I went to go see that, for that, uh, and then, uh, Fallout, I saw, because Chris is a nerd, and, and is good at this thing called Pressure. We've, we've had some trouble trying to get you on the last two ones. Did you actually watch the other two movies? The first and the second one? I did. Out of respect to this. Uh, what I was your favorite part of the first one? I, it was, like... Man, I think, like... I enjoyed the action a lot. Like, it... I, see, I... the first, My first real experience of Mission Impossible was playing the N64 game. There was an N64 Mission Impossible game. Um, so, um, it was a lot of fun kind of seeing a lot of that in the movie. Uh, I don't remember if it was like a tie-in video game or if it was just a a game. (laughs) You you watched it though, so what was like... I... I don't know, man. That was, what, four weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Two. But that, okay, so regardless... You, you gotta remember, man, between the time of then, I've worked 120 hours and went on vacation. <laughs> okay, anyway, so you saw Tonight, right? I did not see Tonight. <laughs> you, you, so you did not watch Mission Impossible 3 tonight? No. Okay. Alright, Alex, it's you just you and me, then. Alright, cool. You can see um, me later. I just wanted to make sure. I have not. I did not watch Mission Impossible three tonight. Okay, so Chris, then. Um, okay. What did you What did you think overall, having seen the other two leading to this one? I really enjoyed this one. Um, I did too. I. I did too. I can see why some people wouldn't remember this movie. Other than the fact that, other than like it's trivia for, it's JJ's first, it's uh JJ's first uh, blockbuster or first, yeah, 
Um, yeah. And no, like this is his first movie. Yeah, it's a solid a, outing. Yeah, like holy cow! Debut. It is his directorial debut. I didn't even realize that. Yes. See, here's the thing. After the second movie, everyone was like, "Oh, um, what the hell was that? That was really dumb." And um, <laughs> we're, we're yes. going to not talk about it. And uh, we're going to back away. And uh, we're just not going to talk about it. And so. Then the 2006 was rolling around, and Spies. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. This what? was his. This wasn't his. This was his filmic directorial. Yes. Not, yes. No, no. That's yes. Not, I'm going to yes. talk about. I'm going to talk about him as a. As like he did why Felicity he got the in '98, 2000 through 2002, and he also did Alias, and of course, well, my I'm going to get. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get into all that. Well, my point is, this is his film debut, like his true film debut, like. Okay like in Peter's debut so but before that I'm going to say how he got the job in the first place so this has to time with the old movies the second movie Zach is hilariously bad it's not good oh, it's, it's not a good movie so, <laughs> oh man I gotta so update that episode so it's hilarious so the, the, the thing is they screwed up really bad with that movie and they needed to fix uh, Mission Impossible 3 and now Tom Cruise was an action star and he just was going and making action movies. And at this point, he was like, I need to fix this, and I don't know how yet. But spies weren't in. And then what happened in 2006, guys? Casino Royale. Casino Royale. Casino Royale. Casino Royale. And now what, well, now what made Casino Royale sort of, sort of helpfully important again was a show called Alias. So he had already started Felicity and made Carrie Russell a star, but but Felicity had ended and he wanted to start a new show with Jennifer Garner called Alias. Alias became a huge hit. I started watching it, had Bradley Cooper in it, a really good show about spies. And one of the biggest elements of Alias is that she lives a real life with real people and best friends, but she's also a kick-ass, like, mercenary spy for a company that you don't know whether it's good or bad. He defined spies in the U.S. around that time again. They were becoming big. So Tom Cruise looked at Alias and was like, that guy, I want that guy to come and make my new spy movie. I want to make it about a guy who's going to get married and has to hide it from his wife, just like the TV show. And we're going to like see what this guy can do, because he's, he's already made Lost by this point. He's already done a couple other TV shows, too. He's really good at TV. Let's have him do a, sh- a movie about a TV show remake. Let's really do it. Let's really make it about a team from Mission Impossible. Let's make J.J. Abrams make a new version of this. Have him, and they brought him in. I think it was a really good choice. I think he, I think he brings that element of like Ethan Hunt trying to keep it from his wife. Well, ties it into the plot pretty well. Um, I like the group effort. I like the fact that Simon Pegg shows up, and you get to see Luther and Hunt and Pegg together for the first time. I agree. Philip Seymour Hoffman is a great villain. He's a great villain. He's fantastic in this. And it's even more interesting when you know that Tom Cruise and him in 1998 were in Magnolia playing the entire opposite characters. Tom Cruise is a jerk in Magnolia. He's a terrible, misogynistic, horrible person. But his father is dying. And a very sweet, kind nurse played by Philip Seymour Hoffman is there with him in the last moments of his father's life. And it's a great scene that they have together. So it's really awesome to watch the airplane scene. And you just watch Philip Seymour Hoffman be like, that was fun. It was fun. And you're like, Tom Cruise is about to freak out. Like, it's so, they're so good together. I wish they got a chance to do more. Yeah. Um, sad that Phyllis Hoffman is gone. Right. Uh, 
vibes. I do think um, it also brings in the first time that Ethan Hunt does a stunt that is uh, or a, something in the plot that is so death-defying and stupid, anyone would die from it. It's the first time it happened. Yeah. It's not just like it's like in the other movies he was doing agility stuff. He was doing stuff that other people couldn't do. Well, hold on. I mean, there was the I motorcycle mean, collision. <laughs> Actually, it was the entire last thirty minutes of that no, last no, no, movie. No, I mean, uh, but I mean, like, <laughs> the, yes, the motorcycle stuff is crazy. And also in the first movie, he like jumps off a moving train onto a helicopter, and then blows up from the helicopter and lands on the train. Like, but I'm talking about when they plan something. When he looks at them and he's like, I'm going to have to do this to get this. And everyone in the group goes, you're crazy. And he's like, yeah, but I'm the only crazy enough one to do it. Like, that that's when we started. And it's in every other one after. And so, like, that that's where this kind of, like, J.J. Abrams put that there. My biggest issue with this movie is the close-ups. Too many close-ups. A lot of this movie is shot in close-ups and mid-level stuff. Mm. And the shaky cam. Those I was going to say, yeah, the shaky cam bothered me, too. Those are the two things that make this movie um, forgettable for me on a visual level, and I think the main reason everyone else forgets it is because they drop all of this thematically interesting stuff in the other movies. He's not married anymore, but the girl from the other movie is gone. In the fourth movie, he's just kind of, like, doing his own thing, and they just don't talk about any of this. Lawrence Fishburne is gone. Like, they just, the, the eight, like, Maggie Q goes, Jonathan Reese Myers goes, they, all the people you brought here are, like, gone. And none of this stuff sticks in the next movie. And so people forget about this entirely. But this movie saved this series. And it established a lot of what it would be later. Despite the fact that it doesn't look, doesn't give a lot of, like, striking imagery. It has great set pieces, but it's not striking imagery. And, yeah, I, I, if, I, I just kind of wish they'd have kept his wife around if they'd have, like brought that into the story rather than have them divorce off screen and then have them like they talk about them trying out their marriage like three movies later like all of that stuff should have been continued on but they don't and they try to keep Jer like Jeremy Renner and Simon Pegg in the other movies and they try to keep that consistent but the fact that they drop everything they keep here on a surface level kept everything on a blueprint level is really interesting to me because it is a good movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the one thing, like, obviously, you could tell, like, Alex, you, Alex, um, tell me if you saw this too, because I noticed this when I was watching it. Um, because I think it, I was this after JJ's Superman pitch was turned down. I know he made a pitch for to make a Superman movie, and it was shot down. Probably, probably by this time that was the case because I, th I believe it was this year that Superman Returns came out. So he probably gave it to them when they were going to do it, a new Superman after Tim Burton's fell apart, and he was probably one of the people who pitched it, and they went a different route. And that same year that this came out, uh, Superman Returns came out. I feel like, and plus, like there was. If I remember correctly, there was an element of he wasn't proven as a film, as a blockbuster film director. He wasn't proven, right? 
he had done television, but he also had done. He made a rom- he made like a romantic comedy type show, a character drama. He made an action spy show, and then he made one of the some of the best adventure television that's ever existed on Lost. Like the pilot of Lost is basically a movie. Zach's right. The pilot of Lost is just shot in a square, but it's a movie. It's as cinematic. It's as cinematic as television can get, even on a Game of Thrones level. The pilot episode of Lost is fantastic. It showed that he could do something on large scale. It showed that, like, these action set pieces are because some of the best action set pieces in Lost. The, the plane crash in Lost is great. So he proved himself as, like, a formidable director. He just hadn't had his chance on the big screen yet, in the letterbox form. Uh, with Honestly, millions. I would even... Alex might not necessarily admit this, but I think the first season of Lost is one of the best seasons of television ever made period i think it's one of the best seasons of television it's one of certainly one of the most important yes it it's incredible in what it does um where the series goes from there you know is up in the air for many people and as jj has his hand when jj has his hands in it it's great yes when J.J. Abrams and Jack Bender are the, the two main directors leading the charge on that show, it was one of the best television shows ever made. Sure. Now, I will, I will say that I am not a fan of his mystery box stuff. I do think that he creates um, problems in scripts very easily by just presenting something that's dramatically interesting but not necessarily thinking about its consequences. Like It's very interesting to me that this movie starts with his wife almost getting shot in the head and then as the movie goes on, you don't even remember that she got kidnapped at the beginning of this movie until you remember until you see the threat of her getting kidnapped. When he calls and he's like, is yes. she at the hospital? And then you're like, oh my god, that's right, she gets kidnapped. And you're like, wait a second. That's like, she's about to get shot in the head. And then it turns out it's just some woman that we barely forgot and they kind of explain in a line where you don't even get to see the actor's voice. I, I'd also like to point out oh, that Jake Bender is like, direct, directs like, one of the best seasons of Game of Thrones ever made, in my opinion. Who? Jack Bender. Who's that? Uh, the other lead director on Lost from the first season. Ah, so I mean, yeah, that's the other thing. J.J. Abrams is good at two things. A, he's good at finding uh, great voices, whether it's with a camera or, well, I would say, not necessarily. He's certainly good at finding people with cameras these days, but also especially assistant directors. But most importantly, casting. J.J. Abrams knows how to cast. And this movie, like, Michelle Monaghan's great. I think Maggie Q is great. I think Jonathan Reese Meyers is great. I think Simon Pegg's great. I just wonder why only Pegg is the one that kept going. It makes you think about that, and it's hard to figure out what the reason was. Um, but it probably, I, I, I don't know what he was considered. It, was it after this that McCory stepped in? Yes. No. Yes. Maybe. Brad, no. Bird, Brad Bird. makes the next one. But was um. But was. But did McCory have his hands in in this franchise after this? Like, My, yeah. Would he start no, with the no. next movie as like a producer or something? J.J. Abrams is still producing them after this film. He's still a big producer on him, and that's why a lot of the vibe is still going in terms of his ideas, like the stunt stuff and the team stuff. I think they'd like those ideas and they stuck with it and let him continue to put his name on it. Because, like, if you look at the next few ones, Bad Robot shows up a lot in the production company logos. And, but McQuarrie was, at this point, 
I think he was. I think they had just made his first movie with him as like an actual writer experience, and I believe that was with Brian Singer again um, in um, Valkyrie. Valkyrie came out this year, and that was the first time that him, Singer, and McQuarrie got together. And after that, he liked uh, McQuarrie way more than Singer. Now, McQuarrie by that time was already script doctor. Most of the best writers out in Hollywood are script doctors. So he'd worked with him before. That's the first time he actually was like, okay, let's do one of your scripts. And then they did it this year. And although Valkyrie was not um, a celebrated movie, it's not bad. And Tom Cruise did not have a bad time with him. And I think he blamed that experience on Singer. And he continued to work with him after this. But J.J. Abrams was the one who's like, I'm not making the next film. I want to pick the director. So he picked Brad Bird. And McBurry may have stepped in to help with that script. And then after, by that point, he was already working on, like, Oblivion and Edge of Tomorrow and stuff. And, like, Tom Cruise was like, you know what, dude? Can you fix my Mission Impossible series? Because Brad Bird wants to go back to the animation. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, the point I was trying to make earlier with J.J. is that this being, it's, like, his first, like, big blockbuster movie coming to mind that his Superman script got turned down it's like I could feel that there's something there was to me it felt like there was something behind it where he where it kind of felt like he had something to prove even after he did Lost and Alias and all these other things, like, he still got turned, his Superman script still got turned down, he wanted to be Superman, so he's like, okay, I'll show you I can do this. Again. So he says, so either you can believe Tom Cruise, like, said, hey, I want this guy, but I kind of like the idea of J.J. took the job and is like, I'll prove to these mother effers again. Like, I can do this, and now he's one of the most well-known directors of today, and he's about to make a second Star Wars movie. So, yeah, I I am not as high on J.J. Abrams as everyone else does, but over the years I've certainly begun to respect um, a lot of what he can do well as a filmmaker, um, and I think this is certainly one of the best best debuts of a action <clears throat> filmmaker around. It cleans up a series really well and um, kind of defines what it would be in a lot of ways afterwards. I think the set pieces are fine. Shaky Cam does suck, but it's of its time. My problem is just sort of simple visual. Just like when there's so many scenes where people are just standing and talking, and the conversation is all in close-ups, and it's just not good. Especially when that same camera, which is really great for close-ups, doesn't look really great on um, some of the other images in the action. You don't get a lot of striking imagery, so visually it doesn't hit you, which is super funny. Because Super 8 is a movie that's visually amazing, but kind of lacking a lot of character. So he's kind of trying to over-fix a lot of things as a burgeoning director. And yeah, I do think that he would end up fixing and getting a good kind of like even line with Force Awakens. I think Force Awakens is... like That ends up into my biggest problem with him overall, which is he's safe. He's a crowd pleaser. He's trying to please everyone. He doesn't take as many chances. He says he's going to take them in the new movie, but he also said fuck it. So I don't know what that means. Uh, I'm kind of interested on when we see more marketing. I'm a little concerned, but that's only because I haven't seen enough. We all haven't seen enough. Yeah. Uh, cross that bridge when we get there. But I, I do think that this movie is a lot of fun. And I do think the performances are really good. So it's not just that 
it's it's things that do affect the long-lasting aspect of a film, but there are so many things that are going well here. And as for a Mission Impossible movie, I do find it interesting uh, on a story level that it doesn't start with him being a teacher and us getting to see some elements of that. It just kind of starts with Carol's... By the way, Carrie Russell, what a badass. Yes. <laughs> she's going to be in the new Star Wars, and I, I completely forgot how bad... Like, first, she's amazing in The Americans. Everyone should see The Americans. She's amazing in that. It's why she's not in, like, MCU movies yet. Or now that she's going to be in Star Wars films, it's like she's been doing an amazing show. where She gets to be an amazing badass. It's like a scary person. And in this movie, like, the moment he hands her the gun and she, she just shoots, I'm like, oh, my God. She was made to fire a gun on film. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> there you go. Feminist everywhere. Your female John Wick in the making, Carrie Russell. <laughs> yeah, so badass. Um, uh, but, yeah, like, I, I just thought it was weird. You walk into the film, and the last girl's gone. He's not a badass spy anymore. He's getting. He's having an engagement party, and we don't know his wife at all. Like stuff. Like the last four years, stuff has happened. Yes. <laughs> I, like I think it's very. I think the whole point of the party scene is to be like, hey, remember that Tom Cruise is a charming guy because he really isn't charming at all. In two, now that I think about it, he's so stoic. Everyone's so stoic in that movie, but I think he's charming as hell at that party. And I think that's the point. They're like, remember Tom Cruise was awesome and charming and friendly and stuff? But I do find it odd that almost all of this change has happened when we see him. How did you feel about that? Um, I'm sorry, repeat <laughs> the question. I was thinking about something else. I'm sorry. <laughs> How did you feel about this film and knowing that, like, there's a huge change? Like, he's a completely different person now. He's like a, he's like a teacher. He used to be a teacher. He's retired now. Um, I think the change is for me. For for me, it's okay because they would acknowledge it later, and I in either protocol or fallout of like how and they show it in this movie. Like he's um he's um talking about uh no. Sorry, I'm a little distracted here. Um, so, what happened... I'm not good with words anymore. So, <laughs> I'm so bad. It's way too late. Um, so, they would acknowledge that he is a person who can't reject the like the call. Because like, he's at an engagement party, right? For his wife. That's so he's done. That's so he's out. And then as soon as they call him, he's like, he, he's like, he's thinking about it. And he's like, then he goes out, throws out all the ice, and goes tells his wife, I'm going to go get ice. Yeah, he throws the ice right out. And he goes uh, and, takes, and he takes the call. And I'm like, they would acknowledge this later. And he's like, um, he's like, he can't help it. If someone's in need, he's got to do something. He's like Captain America. If he sees a situation pointed south, he can't ignore it. Um, I think that's a fair way to put it. Uh, so, God, what did you, um, how, oh God, I'm trying to think, what did you think of Billy Crudup? 
Like, actually, no, my other question would be, do you remember the twist in this movie when you started it? Okay, like, before I started it, do I remember the twist? Today, before you started watching it today. I know. Plus, I didn't watch it today, I watched it Friday. Ah, got it. No, uh, Saturday, Saturday, I saw it Saturday. What did you think of his uh, handler guy? Did you think it was, like, Lawrence Fishburne, or did you think it was him? I, th- my... As I was going, I'm like... As I remember, like, wait... Who's the bad guy again? <laughs> it's like... I'm looking at it, I was like, okay, Lawrence Fishburne was a real prick, but Billy what? Billy Crudup was, like, trying to help the guy along, and then he tells him... So, I wasn't exactly clear on, did Billy Crudup set up Lawrence Fishburne? Or, yes. But then Lawrence Fishburne admitted it when he was on the... Um, when he was on that weird muzzle table. Gosh, it was so confusing. I feel like everybody had a shade of gray. Right up until I saw Lawrence Fishburne at the end. I'm like, wait. What? Mm. It was just so... Now that I think about it, I don't exactly remember who the mole was, in a sense. I guess it was Cardo because he died. But then there was evidence that Lawrence Fishburne... Was dirty too. I on okay. but then here's what happened. So Billy Crudup sent Carrie Russell out as a mark. He was as a martyr. He sent her out to this guy so that she would go and think that Lawrence Fishburne, because a call was made from his office, not Fishburne specifically, but his office, to make her think that Lawrence Fishburne was a mole. Then she tried to send that information out to Tom Cruise. He came out to rescue her. Because he wanted, he just knew that she was captured by that point. And the guy couldn't stop being his handler. Crudup couldn't stop being his handler at that point. And Tom Cruise was like, fuck it, I'm going. So he goes to get Carrie Russell, but Crudup can't let her explain what happened or, like, find out the truth. So he makes sure that she gets murdered on that way. Then, he needs the rabbit's foot. Damon's supposed to get it, but Tom Cruise steps in without telling Crudup what he's going to do. And he takes it. And he screws everything up. So he, Crudup, just continues the possibility of letting the audience and crews think that Lawrence Fishburne is the mole, and he was going to continue that path. But he didn't know what Carrie Russell had sent to Tom Cruise. He thought that she would send something and hoped that she would think that it was Basil, but he didn't know for sure. And so that's why he was asking Tom Cruise that at the end. If he, didn't, if he knew that for sure, he could have gotten away with everything. He was just using Damien the way he would use other people. He's trying to, like, get him to get him what he wants, and then he was just going to get rid of Damien. But probably Damien was going to kill him because he wasn't that smart anyway. Uh, but at the end of the day, Lawrence Fishburne was not guilty. He was just made to look guilty on film. He was a red herring. By the end of the film, you realize that when he looks at Tom Cruise and says, I will bleed on the flag to make sure those colors are red, like, he means it. He just is sick and tired of Tom Cruise going rogue. Which is true. Tom Cruise goes rogue like three times in this movie. There's a movie called Rogue Nation. <laughs> exactly. He keeps doing it. This is when he's, That's the other thing. He keeps going rogue now. But the uh, the I would say the other thing is you said in the last movie that those were extremely personal stakes. How'd you feel about the personal stakes in this one? Well, 
They were... I think they were better if, like, I knew what Rabbit's Foot really was. But, Mystery Box... No, um, it's in the sense that, like, his wife got kidnapped. Yeah. I was like... I guess it was those stakes that got me into the movie the first time around. I think. And now that you're watching it, you're like, what the hell is Rabbit's Foot? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, the, that's the J.J. Abrams stuff. But then again, that's why, that's kind of what Simon Pegg's monologue is all about. He's like, I'm just basically going to tell you a fancy way of what a MacGuffin is. And even at the end of the film, he's like, what's Rabbit's Foot? And he's like, I'll tell you. And it's like, yeah, I hope you had a good time, everybody. That's, yeah. yeah, that's Mystery Box right there, for sure. Yeah, that's J.J. Abrams in a nutshell. So, yeah, that's a big problem right there, for sure. As fun as... And that's that's my problem. He made... The movie's supposed to be about the characters, but he doesn't bring any of them back. Um, so... It... The plot doesn't matter either. What, then why do people remember this film? It'd be absolutely hilarious if at one point in the two new McCoy movies that are coming out, either in the next few years, if Rabbit's Foot comes back. Oh, that'd be amazing! Is to say, hey, three was a movie. <laughs> um, so what do you rate it in terms of the series so far? Oh, man. You really put me on the spot. Um, well, let's just establish that two is at the bottom. Let's just, like... I'm only talking about three right now. But yes, I agree. Two is at the bottom. I, that's like I'm trying to, well. I'm trying to lay out the rest of the map so I can see where three fits in. Um, Just first one and two. I mean one and three. I mean. Yeah, it's between one and th- oh man. Now you put me on the spot. Is it one or three? That, that, yes, because three movies. We'll rate them as they keep going, but we've only watched three movies so far. So out of the three, what's your rating? We both agree that two is the worst. And it's not even close. Um, Yeah. Three is more of my jam. Okay. But one is more visually iconic just for the just for the Langley scene. If anything else. Um... Oh man. You know what? Screw it. I think I liked three more personally. Okay. So what you're what you're would you agree that what you're saying is personally it goes two, one, three. Whereas um, From bottom to top, yes. If we're talking top to bottom, that's very inaccurate. Okay, yes, yeah, sorry. I go the other way around then. Uh so it goes three one, two for you on a personal level. Yeah. Would you agree that probably the better films go one, three, two? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, so that's fair. Um, I'm. I think that the better and my personal are one, three, two. I think the one is my jam, not just because it's my favorite one. I just think it's. I just think it's a more fun time. I think the images are better. I think the whole experience sticks with you. I think three is a good time, but I just 
I kind of forget about it when it's done, which sucks. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think one is the better one. Like, I like the flow and the pacing and the action of three. That's my personal, like, um, jam with action movies. It's just like, mm-hmm. especially on this scale, like, it's just, like, it just, like, keep going, keep going. And then just, like, the, I liked how they, I liked how the characters interacted with each other. It felt really, like, like, on point. And... Do you have a favorite action scene? Out of, out of one? I think it's probably the bridge. Okay. If not, it's the Shanghai chase, because Tom Cruise sprinting is never a bad thing. <laughs> no, I think at the end of the day, the bridge, the bridge is probably the most cinematic. Yeah. I, I did like that when he gets hit into the car. And when yeah. He jump on the bridge. It doesn't make any yeah. sense physically how he could propel himself sideways when the blast is directly behind him. You'd think it'd propel him forward, but then it's sends him to the left. I'm just like, that's cool. Weird stuff what happens. Do you ring? Oh, sorry, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I'm down. I was like, this is weird stuff happens. It's just weird. Well, I was going to say, um, what did you think about the villain's death? What did, where would you rank his death? Um, Crudup or Seymour Hoffman? Oh, interesting. Um... Which one do you think was the ultimate villain of the movie? I think it's Seymour Hoffman. Okay. So I buy I him more as a villain I, than Crudup. I agree. I think Crudup is a weasel. I think he's just meant to be a weasel. Yeah. Um, but Phil, Phil Seymour Hoffman does get, like, beat to hell by a car in speed style. Yeah. Never a bad thing. Um, what do you, how would you compare him to the first movie's death and the second movie's death? <sighs> Because remember, we're all leading that to Fallout. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the villain did all lead to the comparison to Fallout. Seymour Hoffman's death in the movie, in the movie, not in real life. Um, oh, yeah. Right. Um, Damien's death. <laughs> it's definitely more tame than any other villain death, probably. Really? You think that's more tame than the gunshot of the second movie? Oh, that's true. He only died of the gunshot. I'm sorry. He kicks the gun up and then spins in the air and lands on his side. and then. I guess it's how they treat it, though. Because exactly, just like what you said, he kicked the gun up in the sand. It is, it is like a whole bunch of... It is a hoopla for one he just gets death. He just gets run over by a car. It's just super fast. Um... Oh, he's dead. Okay, alright. Um, I think... Wait, how would I rank it, or how would I compare it? I, uh, I would say rank it with the other ones. Oh, one was definitely a spectacular the... death. What is the Just best? for the red light, green light. I'm gonna say... <laughs> still, still hilarious to me. Red light! Red light! <laughs> he doesn't know what you're talking about. He wasn't there. Uh, he stabbed your friends instead, uh, and then um, I think uh, I would say I would say that one's top. I'd say Hoffman is second, and then yeah, the guy didn't kick the gun is third for me. Honorable mention: Carrie Russell. Oh man! Oh god! When I saw that movie, I think the one I think the one thing that stuck for me, if not the highway scene, was Carrie Russell's death. 
in this movie. <laughs> that bomb just exploding in her head and how she looked afterwards. Oh, man. Oh, man. That was brutal. Yeah, it still looks pretty hideous. Like getting the like, worst oh, migraine like in the world and your like head literally eye. explodes. Ugh. Gross. I'm actually gonna change my action scene. I, I I like the I like when he jumps on the skyscraper and then falls in the buildings. He's the cleaning guy and then almost dies in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> that. that was pretty fun though when he was trying to get this thing that was rolling into traffic. Oh man, if this were real life, that 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 um that vo- that uh that container would have gotten run would have gotten flattened and then Hong Kong would be yeah, destroyed no. or something. Absolutely. They'd all die. Everyone. It'd be a bomb. Or it's either a bomb. I don't know. I don't know. They'd all be dead. <laughs> Someone joked after Fallout, after one of the Twitter reactions was like, Fallout was amazing. Um, sequel ideas are Tom Cruise swallows a live grenade. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking, like, if they brought back Rabbit's Foot, and he, what if he had to, like, swallow it? You have to put the top of your butt. <sighs> uh, so, what do you rate the... What's your grade on the film? Then? B or B plus? I'm dancing. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna go... Uh, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling a C plus here, Chris. You got something for me? Change your mind? For me, it's like... Yeah, sure, the JJ... That this isn't visually as compelling as anything else in this franchise, nor as what JJ would make later. But he would become better from this if he if if he wasn't already above this when he made Lost or Alias. But I think as a standalone action movie, I like to think about that kind of stuff when we do franchise movies. As a standalone movie. In its own right, I think it's pretty darn good. In terms of the Mission Impossible franchise, it's not inconsistent with anything they they would do after this or not far off from what they did with one, but it was kind of like a, a better escalation from one than two was. But um, otherwise, yeah, I like how it was... I like the flow and the pacing. Yeah, there are a lot of close-ups, but, you know, that's my... There are a lot of, like, visual problems. But, like, you know, I could watch it. <laughs> I could watch it. Like, gonna... like, I feel like there's a difference between this movie where things happen and you have to just turn your brain off and just suspend your disbelief, kind of like in pro wrestling, where things just, you just gotta believe it, even though it doesn't, even though it's not believable in any sense of the word. But, like, but there, there's a difference between that and, like, two where stuff just happens and it's just like you're asking yourself why I felt like I was doing that sometimes though <sighs> man but like uh I don't I know do. I don't know what to do I to convince you I'm not myself. I'm not even going to try so you do you man <sighs> the only reason I don't know whether I want to go B minus or C plus is because I'm starting to think about the other movies and how good they are compared to this like yeah definitely the franchise would become better after this but it's how much better 
and so when I think about like this movie in 2006, it's yes, I think a B or a B plus would probably be appropriate, but maybe a B for 2006. But over time, I don't know if this movie has aged so well as an action movie. As a Mission Impossible movie, as a fun popcorn movie, sure, but as an action movie, I don't know. I think things have gotten so much better, and I don't know if it's necessarily because of the quality or what this one necessarily offers. I think it offers the, the, the series great stuff, but does it offer the world of like action great stuff? I think he would eventually do that, but I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I had a good time, but like, I don't really think I would say any of these moments are important in any way. They feel like they had any impact or any... But the other films, I think, are just... They, they escalate the genre really well. Uh, I'm probably going to say C+. Actually, I'm thinking about something here. Like, It's kind of like... Um... Now that I think about it, this movie kind of reminds me of, um, Born Ultimatum. No, not Ultimatum, sorry, Supremacy. Um, Ultimatum is now quickly becoming one of the most underrated action movies ever. Um, this reminds me of Born Supremacy a lot, which I, which I, like, I really enjoy, and I don't think it may be like the weakest of the born of the of the born three that came out before they made two more. Um, but I think that's what I I think not enough people give it, give it enough credit. Yeah, sure, it's like it's really shaky, but Ultimatum was shaky too, probably. Um, if a little. If, if a little tighter, but... I know what you're saying. I, I think you're making a really good, strong argument for this being the mm -hmm. underdog of the series. Yeah. That this is the one that people talk about least, and it has a lot of merit to it. I agree. There's a lot of good things to enjoy about this movie. Right. That uh, are just kind of, you know, they're like fast food. You eat it, you're filled, and you go on. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. There's certainly a lot of things that I enjoy that are exactly like that. Um, so, yeah, if you... yeah. I think this is certainly the underdog of the series. Yeah. But I still... I, I, I yeah. don't know if I want... I don't think I can give it a B-, minus just because I'm really starting to think about the last three, and the last three are so good that I'm starting to balance what those what Bs and As are going to be for me when right. it comes to those. Because just, I mean, four alone... I love the opera scene in five and Fallout in and of itself. So i i'm gonna stick with the c plus but i think you're right i think this is the this movie need, is overlooked yeah. for this now especially but not in jj it's i think it is in jj abrams um catalog but also as a debut as like a like a debut film this is not bad at all no um because like for me you brought up a point of like compared to like today's action stuff it's like a lot of the action is more like controlled. Like John like I think John Wick really changed the game the same way like Bourne did. I think Raid did as well. I think a lot of movies did. Yeah, I think a lot of, like, like 
people are making more movies in different outlets. Right. More voices are getting out, like uh, Atomic Blonde, Deadpool. Look, the last five years alone are ridiculous yeah. for action movies. But at the time that this came out, action was, yeah, it was born. Born was the inspiration for everything. And I think this film does a little bit born, but I actually think it does not do what most other movies do, which is totally um, take over that idea. They, it's still a fun interesting times it's still an adventure it's still really um yeah for 2006 i think this is certainly yeah this was than what we're out. this was two years after born supremacy and two years no one year before um born ultimatum and i think born was kind of the the rave at the time and dude, when we get that on the series wheel it's going to be so interesting because i have like i do not care about those movies i i like them and i have watched them but like i I really like ultimate i care less but like i know you do so i'm going to be really interested to go watch them with you and then you'd be like out get off your fucking high horse but like but yeah it was just like action has changed and i feel like holding up like if this movie came out to like today it would be like a throwback movie i would see you would see this on netflix yeah, definitely. Um, Which, that's the thing. Like, I'm not saying all movie. Oh, there's certain action movies that are classics, but like we could watch Speed or we could watch Rambo, and those movies hold up. But there's something about this movie being made in this era that I think suffers from a blandness and a forgettability in its visuals. Right. Which sucks. Um, I think I'm going to settle for a B. I'm going to settle okay. for a B. That's fair. I think, I think that's fair. Zach didn't see the movie, so you can't grade it. Nope, not at all. Um, but I would say, I would say Zach catch up because the next ones are going to be really good, and it's going to be so interesting to compare these really amazing films to like two, and one. And I, in fairness, I've seen two out of the the three next movies that we that we're going to see. Mm. So it'll be interesting to get to rewatch them again. It's gonna be so weird watching Fallout because Fallout is now like self aware is self aware of the franchise, whereas the like the last, I think like Fallout's like the the like the first self aware Mission Impossible movie where it acknowledges uh, the movies that happened before in like subtle ways. To do it well, yeah. I mean, the in. They, in one other movie, they put the mask on him that he wears in the first movie. In, I think, the next movie, you see his wife. Luther and Simon Pegg are the only two consistent figures. This is when it starts to happen. But yeah, no, you're right. Like, referential where they're like, um, Max has a daughter. Or um, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, why, what happened in the marriage and explaining things that, like, try to describe the series. But, like, if they're going to keep going, bring back people from two i want to see that stuff like make it part of the thing it's stupid and it's like weird but it's still part of this universe and i want you to talk about it man like bring like kill someone with a bottle of chimera i want to see it yeah this is like i want to see a motorcycle collision again yeah i want to see him like wouldn't it be great if like like in the next two movies at some point some guy's like you're never going to win I'm going to kill the whole world and then Tom Cruise just turns around kicks up a gun from some sand and then does yeah. a throw and shoots 
them and then they walk away. <laughs> and Ferguson's like, why did you do that? And he's like, I just had to. Yeah. I want to see more doves flying through fire as Ethan Hunt walks by. Yeah, dude. Bring just bring just as a joke. Like it would be super funny. That's the next evolution of Mission Impossible. It just turns into an action comedy. Um, I just think there's not a. I I just think there's nothing wrong with having a sense of humor in these movies, and a lot of it has to do with um the series at least just understanding what it is because it wouldn't do that it was from it came from an era when it thought it could just be this guy going around doing things like Bond but it's not it's Tom Cruise and Ethan Hunt is becoming a person and that's that's what the series is doing it's actually treating Ethan Hunt as a person and I think that's super funny Um, that's what's funny the the series wouldn't do that and now it's doing it and it just you you can't not laugh at that Especially after two. Oh man. Especially after two. After who he was in two? Oh man. God. That's why I think it's so funny to put collateral at the end because you that's how the series started and now it's like it's making it less and less possible for me to do that because Ethan's becoming a person. Would you say it's becoming impossible? No. Okay. Unless that's mission. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're all tired. Let's go to bed. Impossible three, everybody. Um, so it was pretty darn good, and uh, mm-hmm. but uh, much better is to come, and much crazier is to come. We get a sandstorm in the next movie. We yeah. do. We get the song Sandstorm. Oh wait, no, we're talking about an actual sandstorm. Yeah, it's in there. Uh, the building, the scaling the building is scaling great. the building in Taj Mahal, which oh. is real. Oh. The screen thing that him and Simon Pegg do at the beginning of the movie—that is so great! Oh man, I can't wait. That is so funny. I rewatched that scene recently. Oh man, that is such a funny scene. <laughs> it's blown up. <laughs> oh man, I can't wait. All right, we're done. Some some guy just to get shot right away, so him and Jeremy Renner can swim away from bullets. Oh. Okay. Um. All right. So next time, Mission Impossible. I'd also like to point out that Josh Holloway like dies in the opening scene of the next movie. Oh, Josh that Holloway movie. was in that movie. Oh my god. Chris, you like shout that like you know who Josh Holloway is? I saw Lost season one. I I think it's very. It's not even his best season. Uh. Well, he's still in it. Uh. I, I think it's very interesting that they consistently have kept since the first movie killing people in the first act that you don't think are going to die. Yeah, they're really Game of Thrones again, aren't they? Well, in the first movie, it's like, what, Emilio Estevez and everyone on his team. In the second movie, it was like the Doctor, who I think was played by somebody famous. And in this movie, it's it's Carrie Russell. Yeah. Carrie, like, you think Carrie Russell, she's all like a badass and everything, and they just totally fry her brain, and it's right. horrifying. And then the next movie, it's Holloway. And then I think they do it again in 5 and 6. Alright. Alright. So, um, next time. Ghost Protocol. Um, 
Was this Brad Bird's first live-action outing? I think it was. I, I believe so, yes. Oh, that's impressive. All right, so, here we go. Vision Impossible 4. We shall chug along. And, uh... See you, uh... Whenever I have internet to upload this. All right, um... Say goodbye, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. This podcast was self-destructed five seconds.